Dan Snyder. How you doing? Thanks for coming in. Uh, I, I usually enjoy. I always get some benefit out of uh, uh, speaking about my cause, my mission. So I watched your Netflix show, and I thought, <laughs> this guy's relentless. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people say that. And, uh, you know, I will say this. You're fortunate when they do a video like that or a documentary like that. Uh, they didn't show some of my failures. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I did have some successes. And the other thing unique about that story, too, is most of that was uh, – most of everything I did was from the time my son was murdered, 99, uh, to 2005 when Katrina hit. And then I had kind of like nothing for a couple of years, okay? And then I got back at it, okay? But in a more limited way, okay? So most of that story was from 99 to 2000, almost six, the end of 2005. And so, uh, but yeah, uh a lot of people say relentless or determined. Uh, when I was thinking about naming uh, the, the the story at one time, and uh, I suggested this to the documentary makers, uh, my aunt said, uh, what was the phrase she used? Uh, not determined, but uh, it's going to come to me. But it isn't coming <laughs> right now. She, she gave me a name, and at first I didn't think it was it, but then it was. But, but they called it the pharmacist, and I, I wasn't pleased with that at first, uh, but it's been – great okay. yeah well it's easy to remember that's that's the big benefit about a two-word name for something and it's unique there's something else named the pharmacist out there absolutely and then you know pharmacists have a certain degree of respect in in most cases and then uh you know it's 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 ironic because i'm kind of like either an accidental pharmacist you might say <laughs> i mean i chose the profession but i really didn't enjoy it that much, okay? It was a way to make a living, okay? In fact, they even got out of it for a while and went to sales and uh, insurance and investments, okay? <laughs> and then I, I went back to pharmacy because I got a little bit burnt out on sales. It was mainly commission sales. Uh, but, you know, it taught me a lot. In fact, uh, that, that sales thing actually helped me solve my son's murder, okay? I, I learned how to do something called cold calling, Okay, and uh, I was able to use that eventually to to find a witness uh, to help solve my son's murder. If I remember correctly, you had met your son's murderer uh, before, right? Oh well, when, not before he murdered my son, but uh, yeah, yeah, after. Yeah, well, like what, before what he I, was, you what, knew what he was happened, his I don't know if you want to start from the beginning, or I'll let you handle <laughs> where you want to go. But uh, at some point in time, uh, he was named as a witness by the police to me. Okay, and supposedly he named somebody, and they arrested that person, and that person was in jail. <laughs> so it couldn't have been that person. Okay, yeah. uh, so obviously the kid was lying some to some extent, but they still, the police still didn't think he was the killer. And I'll be honest with you, I probably didn't either. Uh, he was only fifteen years old. Okay, and so, but I was frustrated. The police really didn't work on the case. You know, it, it's kind of like a drug deal going bad. They they didn't put a lot of energy in it, and when they screwed it up a little bit, they totally lost interest. In fact, they eventually would work against me because they didn't want uh, their shortcomings exposed if it ever went to a trial. Okay, and so what happened was though, uh, I still thought the kid was a witness. And so me and my wife went Sunday one day to, uh, we got his address, and uh, the DA gave it to me. The police wouldn't give it to me. The DA gave it to me, and he said, look, you're not going to go over there and kill a kid. I said, no, no, no. I said, you know, I think he's the witness. I mean, I actually believed he was the witness, okay? He rides up on his bicycle. I'm on his grandma's porch, and he rides up on the bicycle, innocent-looking 15-year-old kid. 
And I sit there and I read my son's poem titled 1201 AM. Okay. And it was about the death penalty. And I, I get the kid to read the, the poem uh, about the death penalty. And I'm doing that because I, I, I want this kid to be totally honest. I want him to understand that I don't want to get the killer killed. Okay. And I'm trying to get some sympathy from my son. Okay. And so uh, me and the kid kind of have a, a binding, you might say, a bonding. And, and, and actually, he then tries to help me find the killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. Okay. And, and look, I will be honest with you, though. A lot of people say, well, Jesus, you was extremely naive. No, I was desperate. Okay. I, I didn't want him to be the killer. Okay. He, he was a witness. Okay, it's hard to find a witness. Okay, <laughs> so it would have been much better if there was a real killer that he could name and we could get a case. And he just didn't look like he did. So, you know, I, I guess there was 10% of me said he could be the killer, and 90% he wasn't the killer. I was willing to take that risk. Well, you got to think, you know, what do they always teach you? Motive, motive, motive. You're like, well, what, fifth, what motive does a 15-year-old have? Well, uh, it, it comes down to he wanted a pair of tennis shoes. An expensive pair of tennis shoes. Tragic story. Okay. And uh, my son, who was fairly a novice in this, uh, you know, he had, uh, you know, never had a detention in high school, never had a fight. Kid did start smoking pot like a lot of kids did. We tried to stop that. I pretty much, I think, curtailed it. He never was what I'd call a pothead or stoner. Okay. But he used pot. And uh, he, uh, some kind of way, and I would find this out all after. You know, the night he went out, that night, there's no way that I would have thought he'd been going into a bad neighborhood to buy crack. Yeah. Okay, just, you know, it just didn't even enter my mind. Uh, there are many times I thought maybe he was trying pills, maybe he was trying ecstasy, or, you know, some of these type of things, but not buying crack in a bad neighborhood. So anyway, he, he went up there that night, and what we had up there was a problem with, and I hate to say it, hate to bring race in there, but it was kind of a white-black thing. We, I lived in suburban uh, uh, lands, and it was mostly white. And in an area where he went was mostly black. And and, and so the, the white kids would go up there, and it could have been black kids, but uh, black kids uh, uh, didn't come from the parish, uh, our, our little parish. And they would go up there, and they would usually, these kids had been into crack for for maybe years or months. They had court dates. They had maybe some of them had a rehab and relapsed. And they would go up there and they would fight. You know, they, they, many times they would rip off the blacks and the blacks would rip them off and they would fight and all this kind of stuff. My son Danny, on the other hand, had a new truck, was working, going to college, uh, had a beautiful girlfriend, uh, and, and, and just still living with us. No obvious signs, uh, you know, in hindsight after you kind of, <laughs> sensed a few signs, yeah. okay, uh, but no obvious signs of that. Much less, particularly, uh, maybe there were some signs that I thought maybe it was drugs, but but not crack, okay, in a bad neighborhood. So he he had went up there before and he got ripped off, and uh, uh, the, the kid said, "Well, let's go back and get him." And I said, "Hey, no way, we out of here, okay." <laughs> and so, uh, but you know that might have been a little bit earlier stage. So, so the night he went up there with this when this when this kid approached him, which I eventually would find out after months and months of investigation and finding a witness and putting pieces together and whatnot, uh, my son basically went up there and to, to buy to score, okay, and the kid stole his money. 
Well, this time he didn't start any crap with the kid, apparently, okay? He left, went down a block, but the draw of that drug, okay, his cravings must have been so bad. He said, I'm going to go back. I got a few dollars left. I'm going to go back around. And never thought, he thought the kid would be gone, okay? You know, he thought he'd find somebody else and, and, and buy a little bit of crack, okay? Well, the, the, the kid's story, if you want to believe it, is he got afraid my son was coming back to get him. Okay, because because that had went on a lot with these whites and blacks in that area. In that area, my son wasn't to that stage just yet. You know, uh, uh, very unlikely. Now, did he curse him or something? Who knows? Okay, but the uh, any event, the, the kid also claims that he wanted to fire a warning shot at at my son just to scare him off. Okay, so he claims he wasn't trying to kill him or even shoot him. You know, it's crazy, but there could even be some truth to that. Uh, my son's truck, my son, when he did see the kid coming up to him and maybe even saw a gun, he attempted to to, 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 to to flee, okay? So the truck kind of lurched forward. Also, he threw himself up and out of the way, but his seatbelt caught him. Okay, the, 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 and most of those kids up there didn't have seatbelt cars, okay? <laughs> his seatbelt caught him, okay? And the bullet hit his arm and ricocheted into his head. So it, it's a tragic story, but who knows if the kid actually intended to kill him, but he, he wound up killing him, okay? Yeah, and you can say this. Not a lot of 15-year-olds have experience with guns and shooting them and aiming. and you know, I mean, there is this thing of that, like, I <laughs> know, oh, I know. Oh, so. Well, you know, again, I will say this: I would eventually, and, and and even to this day, have some crazy, but some sympathy for this kid. Okay, he was fifteen. His mom and dad were both in jail. Okay, uh, he lived with his grandma, uh, and wasn't the brightest card in the deck to begin with. I think he might have been a little bit slow in a sense. And, and you know, success in his neighborhood was, you know. Uh, Selling drugs. Yeah. And the, guy, the guys that have some money, okay? And that particular, he wanted these shoes. And that's why he actually stole the money, okay, the, the first time. And, and not, never gave the drug because he could return that drug to the dealer or sell it to somebody else and, and never have to turn in the amount of money for that amount of crack. And so that had been giving him, a, a, you know, I'm sure the guy paid him some stipend or whatever, how, how much he paid him. But he, he was able to put that $40 on my son that he stole from my son in his pocket. To go toward his shoes. Crazy. Now, you got famous and got a documentary and all of this because of your relentless pursuit of this guy and then relentless pursuit of this insane doctor. Uh, you recorded how many calls? <laughs> well, let me, you know, the question you didn't ask, and I'll, I'll kind of ask it of myself, okay, is why did you start recording? Okay, or when and why? Okay. I'm going to get there. Uh, yeah, I, I was not some genius, okay, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I was pretty naive, actually. You know, we after my son was shot and we buried him, you know, I, I went and met with the police. And I said, look, I offered to pay him overtime, and I wanted to try to paint my son as maybe not as uh, big a drug addict as, as usual, and I, I doubt that my son started anything. You know, their idea from the front was my son shorted the kid, okay? And... uh they kind of made my son a criminal just like his murderer, okay? Of course, you know, they gave me lip service and said, yeah, but we're still going to work the case, 
day. Uh, but we, we struggled. Uh, and, and they would tell me things, and then I would call them back and say, well, did you follow up on that? And they'd say, we didn't tell you that. And, I, and at that time, I was in such a grief-stricken spot that, that sometime I wondered if I had gotten it wrong. Okay. And so I started thinking a little bit about taping, but I hadn't even got there. I said, man, I wish I would have had that recording, that recorded because, you know, then I could replay that and know what the guy actually said. Uh, I wasn't trusting myself, basically. So then one night we, we put a reward up and, and we, we go on, on TV. I come home, it's 10 o'clock at night. I put the news on. I watch myself crying, begging for somebody to come forward to help us get some justice for my son. And the, the show ends, and I'm kind of like, I'm feeling like, well, we did something today. You know, maybe this will be a breakthrough. Okay, And I get this phone call from this cop. And I had never talked to this cop. I had talked to his bosses uh, above him. And he starts ranting, okay? He starts, you know, that little no good son of a bitch and son of yours. I mean, you know, uh, crackhead, you know. Uh, I mean, just insulting to the to, to the. That then I was like shocked that he could speak to me. The other guys at least were polite, okay. And uh, and then he started ranting, ranting on it. You got a butt out of this. He says, uh, you, you know, you, you're putting pressure on this case. Uh, you know, if you keep yourself involved in this case, I'm gonna throw this case away. He threatened me. And so uh, when the phone call ended, I I I, I I I got a notepad and I tried to write down every word that this guy said. And that's when it really hit me. I said, he's not going to beat me ever again. Okay. I'm going to record as much as I possibly can. You know, when I, at that time, 22 years ago, spent about $300 on recording equipment, like inline phone, pocket phones, had a, <laughs> I bought a cord and had an early phone system in it, you know, uh, you know, so, and that, and then I learned to be an investigator with that, uh, uh, you know, and we carry forth also eventually to the doctor. Wow. So, back to the question: okay. How many tapes did you record in this? Hundreds. Time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I say hundreds, uh, at least a hundred. And okay. how many hours were you spending a day on this case? I was spending a lot of time on this case. I, you know, I, I would say mentally, really, probably almost, almost around the clock. <laughs> unfortunately, but you know, uh, e- easily twelve hours a day. You know, and I, I always studying, always trying to, they'd put hurdles in front of me and I'd have to try to figure a way around the hurdle. And it was a really complicated case. But what, in, in fairness to the police, in a sense, it really got complicated when I, when I, when I actually found a witness. There was a gold mine that I found a witness and she tells me, I called Crime Stoppers just a couple of days after your son was murdered. And she named the kid that really was the killer. And they brought the kid in, and they turned him into a witness real quick, okay? And so uh, she gave me her number, her crime stopper number, her identity, okay? Well, it put the cops in sort of an awkward position, all of us, okay? Uh, even myself, I didn't want to expose her anonymity, okay? And the cops theoretically couldn't because it would hurt the, the crime stopper situation. So it was a real tedious thing that we had to work around. And, and maybe later on I'll tell you how that ended and how we actually brought it forward. I don't know when the right time to talk about that is. But Well, I mean, people can watch the documentary, and that's what I want them to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can, but th- there was a lot that wasn't in the documentary. Uh, you know, right now I'm doing a, 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 with a, with a studio 
called the ranch down in my hometown. And, uh, they, when Disney does movies and Hulu does movies and major productions go on that they use their studios, but they also do some narrative stuff. So they, they work on me right now. We may develop, uh, either a series or another documentary on the untold stories of the pharmacists. So you may get a little bit of the untold <laughs> stories also. Yeah. So let's dive into that. What are some of the biggest untold ones? Well, one of them, and I'll, I'll hit it right now because we just talked about it. Okay. Uh, it, I got to condense it a little bit here because, you know, it would take hours to tell a whole story. But uh, I, 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 I make a phone call after I'm desperate. I'm almost ready. A lot of people said this guy would never quit. Okay. Well, I was about this close to quitting. Okay. <laughs> and, and probably it wasn't me, but my wife was crying and, you know, you're going to get killed up there. And the sheriff down there was saying, Dan, you got to stop this. Uh, you're going to get killed. You don't know what you're doing. You know, that was my sheriff who was friendly. Okay. But he just didn't want to see me get killed up there. And so I had a lot of pressure from friends and whatnot. Okay. And, it really looked like after, uh, uh, so I was almost ready to quit. And I told my wife, I said, give me 30 more days. And this is like September. Okay. I said, give me 30 more days. And then if, if I can't have a breakthrough, I'll, I'll give it up. So believe it or not, it's really, really, it's almost a mystical story or a religious story or, or whatever. Uh, uh, but I went to my son's grave on September 1st which happened to be my mother's birthday. I'm born September 17th. My son was September 27th. So September is a big month for me, okay? And I went there, and I kneeled on these rocks and reached my hand up to touch his grave. He's in it like a mausoleum type of thing, okay? And I wailed and, and cried out for God to help give me the courage to quit, because my attitude at that time was, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get this month worth of work, but uh, odds are against me. I mean, I started buying into all the people that said, you're just not going to be able to do this thing. She's never going to come forward. If she did, the case is never going to get resolved. You're never going to get any justice. You know, you're spinning your wheels and you might get yourself killed. So I actually prayed. But at the end of the prayer, I did say, but God, if you can give me a breakthrough, okay, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, I'd appreciate it. Okay. I went home that very day. And I had already drawn a circle with a circumference, old-fashioned style, around the area where my son was killed. Uh, and uh, I took out a Haynes director, which was back then a big, big, thick book. We didn't have computers to look up numbers. And co-called everybody and, and, on the block. And I called, co-called everybody within a circle that was maybe a quarter mile each way or something like that. Now, the odds even there were against me because there's a lot of people in that area didn't even have phones. And some of them had private phones, and some, and some of them didn't answer and whatnot. Any event, and this is a true story, I got to the last call of the day. Unfortunately, I started on the outer perimeter, and I worked my way into real close. But this girl was only two blocks away. She was the last person I called. And my little spiel was, you know, my son was killed in his red pickup truck uh, about nine months ago. And uh, everybody thinks the case is solved because they had arrested someone. And I said, do you know anything about the case? And she says, I saw it all. I called Crime Stopper. My Crime Stopper number's this. I'm good friends with the killer's mother. I babysat the killer. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and I, I was excited. And, and, and you know, then I, then I realized she still didn't really want to come forward. And she said, well, no, no I, I called, but I don't want to come forward. I'm going to get killed. 
and she was right. Probably whatever. Yeah. All right. And so I uh, I had to work for another nine months. At first, I was going out trying to find. Now I know that the the the, the, the witness is probably a killer. So I'm not. I'm not dealing with him anymore. I dealt with him the first nine months. I didn't deal with him the second nine months, okay? <laughs> All right. But, you know, I also wanted to verify her story. And in my investigation, I could never get a second witness. I was trying to get a second witness so she wouldn't have to come forward, okay? I could never get a second witness to come forward. Same problem. I, I ran into a couple of witnesses that told me basically the same story she did. We had less of a chance of getting them to come. I started developing a relationship with this girl. She came to my house. She wanted to come to my house. She wanted to see my son's uh, uh, bedroom. She wanted to see my son's grave. I went with her uh, to visit one of her graves of a relative that she had down there. And, you know, my son's grave is a beautiful mausoleum and all that. And, and her grave was all covered with weeds. So I told her, I said, look, I'm going to get my weed in. I'm going to come back and I'm going to clean this thing up for you. So I built a relationship with this young uh, lady, okay? She got to know my wife and my daughter and my uh, kids. And, you know, and you can't expand on that in a docuseries. You, you, you touch on it, okay? Uh, but we really developed a relationship. But she still was reluctant to come forward, which brings me to the end of this thing. And this is truly wasn't clearly told in, this, in the story. In the end, you know, we've been begging and pleading. My wife, my daughter, my son's former girlfriend, uh, uh, and uh, doing everything we can do to get her to come forward. I even eventually get her to come forward to the cops, and then the cops kind of ran her off. Okay, they kind of double crossed me. Okay, they uh, they said that uh, she said she'd come in, but she wanted to wait to have them arrested. Okay, uh, until after the holidays or something, you know. And I knew I had her ready to do this, so I called them up and I said, "Look, I said she wants to come in, but she doesn't want you to make the arrest for another two weeks." Well, one of the, what I call it, good cops, said, uh, yeah, that's okay. And uh, I, I was surprised. I really thought that they wouldn't do that. Okay, But he said, okay. And he said, but you ought to check with the DA first, too. And I checked with the DA. DA said, yeah, sure. If he's okay, we're okay with it. And then I had her call to make an appointment, and he flipped. He wound up saying, okay, and I got this on tape and whatnot, okay. <laughs> he, he wound up telling her, I said, look, we can't do that. We're going to arrest him the minute you come in. And you'd be about to be ready to get killed in this case. How tough are you? you know, he, he, and in fairness now, at the time, I did not understand that. But after listening to the tapes, believe it or not, I didn't. I re-listened to those tapes 20 years later when they were doing a docuseries. And I could tell his reason. I didn't know it at the time, okay? I thought it was a real double cross or his bosses. The bosses above him were, were dirty. He was a pretty decent guy, okay? Uh but the, 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 the bottom line was he actually also believed that his people below him had screwed the case up so much that there was no way that we were going to win the case. So he, so he thought, well, I, I, I got to tell this girl, you know, I got to warn her that this is kind of futile. And he actually did that. And I almost lost her. I had her this close and almost <laughs> lost her, you know. And, and like, you know, so again, I, I didn't give up. I didn't give up. And she had asked me, she said, well, Mr. Danny, she said, would you have done this for me? And I said, well, you know, if I lived in my neighborhood and it happened, I would. If I lived in your neighborhood, probably not. But I need you to come forward. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I need you to be better than me. <laughs> yeah. That's right. In, in essence, Ooh. okay. Oh, no, very, very tough. But also, 
she also then called me and she said, look, I'm pretty sure they know who I am, that, that I'm a potential witness, you know. Those things get around. I had driven up there a couple of times and picked her up and all. We tried to disguise it as best we could. She'd walk a block away or whatnot. But I, I'm pretty sure it got around that she was. And she said, there's, there's the, the, one of the drug dealers that actually, the, the, the kid that killed him was a runner for this drug dealer. He said, but the actual drug dealer was kind of hanging out on her corner, kind of like intimidating her. Well, uh, you know, again, I didn't know what to do at first, uh, so I, I called the police. They said, we, we, we can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I called the DA's office, and they said we can't either. The Crime Stopper thing is kind of screwing us up. You know, she's got to come forward. You know, we we can't even know. We can't even let anybody know that we know it's her. That, yeah. I mean, in, in fairness, they did have that, that, that quagmire, too, okay? So, so I said, what can I do? So I befriended two former drug addicts, one of which had known my son slightly, okay? And I had learned uh, uh, something about these kids, and they had frequented that area. And so I contacted these two kids, and I said, look, I said, I'd like you to go up there with me, and I want to see if this guy's hanging out in the corner, and if he's the dealer, okay? And because uh, the, the, the dealer that sold my son, uh, the, the dealer was a guy named Militon. That was his nickname, Militon. And... Uh, I said, I want y'all to identify him. And they said, man, look, what you going to do? And I said, I said, I won't do anything. I just want you to identify him. I said, I might go back, but I want to know who he is. So sure enough, me and these two kids go up there, and we pull up on a corner, right where, this corner is right where the girl lives. And sure enough, he's hanging out on the corner. I don't know if he's bird dog. And she might, he might not. We don't even know for sure if he was, but she thought he was. And we pull up, and we park, and we both, we're looking at him, and he's looking at us. And the kids tell me, it's, I don't know what I'm doing up here, okay? The kids say, watch out, Mr. Danny. If he reaches under the, he's standing next to a car in a corner. So if he reaches under the fender wall, I think he's going for his gun. He says, so if you see that, hit it, you know? <laughs> wow, you know? So uh, <laughs> so at any event, uh, uh, we, we, we leave, okay? And I go around the corner because the kids don't want to approach him, and I had promised them that. So we go around the corner, one block away. And, and that's where my son was shot and killed, just one block away, which is only a block away from where the girl lives, okay, the, the other corner. And I happened to look the side street before I take off straight, and there's two cops on bicycles, okay. And so I make the turn, hidden from him, and stop and get out, and I go approach these two cops on, on bikes. And, and they, you know, when I walk up, they say, say, what the hell are you doing up here? And I said, well, my son was killed on the corner here about nine months ago, okay? Or, no, at this time, no, now it's about 16 months after he's killed. And uh, uh, there's a bird dog, bird dog and the witness. And so there's a, there's a white cop and a black cop, and I don't mean this to be racial, but this is just a, a, the, the way it was, okay? The black cop says, he says, well, what the hell are you doing? You ought to call the cops. <laughs> I, said, I did call the cops. <laughs> okay. And, and, and the white cop says, well, you know what? I think I'd be doing what you did if it was my kid. Okay. And so he says, and you know what? And this is, you know, I use this phrase and I wonder, I don't like to exaggerate. Okay. I, 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 I try not to. Okay. And maybe it's my memory, but I'm pretty sure he said, okay, it's your lucky day. You know? And I, and I, it, it, or he said something 
Pretty to much the extent, same, yeah. okay? And it was pretty amounted to your lucky day. And, and I said, what's that? And he said, he says, we just shook him down. You must have pulled up right after us because we had just left him. And we shook him down. He's got no gun on him. Of course, it could have still been hidden someplace, okay? And, he, and then he goes even further. He says, look, he said, if you want to go back around and approach him, okay, we'll keep an eye out. And he said, now, this is off the record. The black cops sweating bullets. There's okay? <laughs> other guys like, so I look at the kids and they go, uh, you know, and I said, come on guys, uh, you know, I, I need to do this. You know, uh, we, we be pretty much protected. Well, you know, they're kind of rough kids. Okay. So they say, yeah. So we go back around the corner. Now, this is not told in the story uh, in, in any kind of detail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so we go around the corner again. We pull up again. He's still there. He's there right there by that car. And now we just sit there. It seemed like it's five minutes. It's probably only two or three minutes. He finally walks across to the car, goes by the window where the kid's at. And I said, Militon. And he goes, I'm not Militon. Well, the two kids know him. Militon, we know we bought from you before. And so you kind of see he knows he's caught. I said, look, son of a bitch. I said, you know who I am. I know who you are. Okay. I'm fighting to get my son's killer. You better get your ass off of this witness right now. Okay. I said, I'll come up here with a tank or, a, 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 or whatever i got to do, a machine gun. I said, I, 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 I'll shoot the whole damn place up, okay? And I said, more than that, I said, I got money. I said, I'll run a full-page ad in the newspaper, okay? And I'll outline all of your runners, and I'll put your freaking ass out of business. Well, sure enough, we leave. It's okay? <laughs> the most gangster thing ever. <laughs> yeah. So we leave, and... uh, uh I called Shane back, the witness. I called her back, and she says, he's not on my corner anymore. <laughs> okay? And when she found out, that was my way of showing her I was willing to put my life on the line. Yeah. Okay? And so so then it, it even triggered the police now to finally come up with an innovative way because they knew somebody was going to get killed. Okay? I was at a boiling point. I, I was almost even ready to expose her. Okay, which would have probably destroyed everything. But, you know, it's like I was just so frustrated. It's just yeah. had to end. Okay. And so uh, uh, I, the cops found out that I go up there and threaten the, the drug dealer. And they go, Jesus Christ, you're going to get killed. He says, you know, we, we got to do something. So they formulate this plan. They go to the same corner, right where, where she lives. And they, they go to the houses around her, but not to her house. Okay. And they standing around, they're hanging around there a little bit, talking in the street. And sure enough, luckily again, happenstance, I guess, she's home and she notices them, which they wanted to be noticed, okay? She walks out and she says, Mr. Danny sent you here? And they said, who's Mr. Danny? And she said, well, I'm the witness. I saw it all. And they said, really? <laughs> okay. Well, will you come in? And she came in. And the case was immediately going to at least a trial. <sighs> you know, that's how it ended. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, that's the end of the investigation. Okay. Uh, but. Uh, and you spent 20 months on that? Uh, well, all the way to his sentencing. My son was killed April of 99. He was sentenced in November of 2000. So year and a half, I guess, something like that. Was there any peace when he was sentenced, or was it just kind of dead feeling? Well, you know, uh, 
Yeah, in a, in a sense there was. Okay, obviously, it all, all of a sudden hits you like, we won. Okay, but I wasn't satisfied with the the deal that we had to take. Okay, or that we took. And I'll tell you a story about that too. But the I wasn't satisfied with that. But at least for my efforts, something had gotten done. I got some measure of justice. Okay, and I proved the damn cops wrong, and I proved the DA wrong. They had told me I was wasting my time. They had told me I was crazy. They had told me you're going to get yourself killed. Okay, there's no way you're going to solve the case. Okay, and I was able to shove it up their ass. Okay, uh, uh, and so uh, uh, it was also a battle between me and the cops, uh, in a sense. Okay, to find my son, son's killer. But back to the the sentence too. Now, uh, we originally we didn't want the death penalty. My son had written this poem called Twelve O One A.M. By the way, he's declared dead at 12.08, which means he died before that. Now, we're not sure. I'm not sure it wasn't exactly, but it was around the time that he titled his poem, okay? And I can't re- recite usually the entire poem. I wish I'd have brought a copy of it. I'd have read it to you, but I, I, can, I can cite some of it just to give you an idea. It starts off, wrong turn. It's like a mystery story. Life burns. As Stephen King writes down his words of glory, critics rave. The parents of the, the victims uh, are going to pay a high price uh, to watch his pain, something like that, okay? And, and it, toward the end of it, he goes, a flip of the switch in the dark of the night, a life taken for spite. New killers are born. In life, this just doesn't fit, or does it? And that's not every word of the poem, but you, you, you get the flow because it, it kind of defined the story. It even <laughs> talked about a movie, a blockbuster hit, Stephen King telling this story. And I, I'm sure, you know, uh, it was probably coincidental prophetic, okay, but it was prophetic, okay? Gosh, and you chills, though, doesn't it? Uh, uh, yes, it, it does give you. So you wrote this poem about a story similar to his. Yeah, and and defended the killer. <laughs> right before he died. No, he wrote it. Actually, he wrote it about four years before he died. He wrote it when he was 17 or 18. He died <laughs> when he was 22. That's right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's the poem I read to the kid. To show yeah. him that, uh, thinking that if he thought I wasn't going to kill a killer, he might really help me find the killer. Okay, well, I'm talking to the killer. Now, if it wasn't for that poem... Would you have pushed for the death penalty? Probably. I initially was for the death penalty. Okay. And me and my son even debated it. I remember, <laughs> in, in hindsight, I remember this discussing it with him, and I was for the death penalty. And I really pissed him off. I said, I said, uh, Danny, I said, uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, son. We probably shouldn't have the death penalty. I said, because they're not doing it the right way. He goes, what you mean? I says, they're not killing them fast enough. I said, dude, it really has almost no merit. If you wait 10 years to kill somebody, yeah. the people in the neighborhood didn't see the consequences of that, okay? And I, I still, and I believe that. And so I, I would have been maybe against the death penalty only because it wasn't done right, okay? Uh, and, but he got mad. 
He said, no, Dad, it's just it's just the wrong thing. And don't get me wrong, this kid wasn't 100% religious. He, he was even kind of almost agnostic a little bit. He, a doubter, in a sense, even though he did write about God some. So I think he was a little closer to God. But he was a typical kid trying to figure out things and whatnot. And so uh, I even asked him, I said, if, you, if your mother or your sister got killed, would you want him to have the death sentence? And, uh, and they said, no. So we took that off the, the thing real quick. But we, we initially, when we made the deal, we were going to get like 30 years. This would have brought the kid. Now he's about 17 or 18. By the time we actually get him arrested, at least he's like 47, okay? And it's a severe penalty, but he'll come out and he's mature and maybe maybe he won't hurt anybody, okay? And so, uh, but when we really got down in the courtroom, uh, the, the, the kid didn't want to go to jail for 30 years for sure. <laughs> but he also didn't want to go to jail for life. Okay, So they whittled it down to 15 years, and I almost wasn't going to take it. In fact, we called the whole thing off. They were getting ready to bring the jury in and all this. They took, called the whole, whole whole thing off. I said I had to sleep on it. The judge said, I want you to sleep on this, Mr. Snyder, before you make this decision. Well, I talked to the DA. He says, look, I think we got about a 50-50 chance. Okay? At the time, I believed him, okay, now I don't even think we had a 50-50 chance, but we might have had some chance. So I went home, and I started trying to rationalize. Okay. And he did say one thing to me. He says, but can you stand him walking out of this courtroom free and innocent, found innocent? And uh, those words stuck with me. So I went home that night, and I prayed, and I, I talked to my wife, and I, I studied, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give him the 15 years. Okay. And if I want to kill him, I'll kill him when he gets out of jail. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think I really would have because I also, uh, another scene in this thing, okay, I also had another chance to kill him, okay? When, when the witness told me all this and I was going around looking for second witnesses, I was still also trying to verify her story, okay? I, I really didn't want to arrest the, the wrong guy, okay? And I wanted to do it, so to speak, right. I had made this bargain with God. God, if you help me get my son's killer off the street and nobody gets hurt, I'll go on a mission for you. Well, my mission now is the advocacy I do uh, and really going after that doctor, although I never really, I never had that in mind. I had more education and prevention, (laughs) talking in schools and talking with parents, okay? Uh, The doctors are kind of another story how that came about. But the, uh, so in any event, uh, uh, it, there was a stage where I had it narrowed down to two, okay? The first guy that they arrested that the kid named and the kid. And I was pretty sure it was the kid because I kind of was now believing the witness, but I wanted to make double sure. So there happened to be a neighbor that lived a couple houses away from me. I live in an upper-middle-class house with 3,500 square feet, two-story, all nice homes, kind of like this neighborhood, okay? And uh neighbor walks down the street. He sees me cutting the grass, he says, Danny, he says, you know, look, man, I admire what you're doing. He says, but you're going to get killed up there. And and he said, uh, look, he says, I know. He says, you know, I live a couple of houses from you. I knew him vaguely. We knew each other, but not, not real well. He says, you don't know my past. I had serious drug issues when I was younger. He says, I used to hang out up there, okay? I lived up there for a little while. I used to fight. I got shot at. I shot at people, okay? And, you know, I was all strung out, da-da-da-da-da. And he said, you're going to get killed, and he said, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll go with you. He said, are you carrying a gun? I said, no, I don't carry a gun. 
Okay, God, I really, I'm not a gun person. I didn't know how to use them, and I didn't want to accidentally kill somebody. And I'm, I got God on my side, I think, you know, and, you know, and that's kind of breaking God's rule, you know, I mean, you know, so I don't know, maybe they were stupid or whatnot, but, but, but that, that's what I did. He says, well, look, I'll go up there and I'll ride shotgun. So he literally went up there a couple of times. I interviewed people. Okay. And he would sit in the car and watch and cover my ass. Okay. Now, most of the time I was up there by myself. Of course, I would go in and out real quick. I wouldn't stay long thinking that. Don't give them time to find out that I'm there. Okay. I, I took some precautions. I'd go up there with different cars. You know, there was a lot of intricate things I did to, to semi protect myself. Well, he, he goes up there and he kind of gets tired of it. And he said, he says, look, he says, I don't know. I think we're spinning our wheels. He says, let me tell you, if you got to narrow down those two kids, I got to retire a drug dealer. How do you retire as a drug dealer? <laughs> he says, well, he's an old man. He said, he used to be the kingpin. He ain't the kingpin now. He says, I don't even know if he's doing anything. He says, but he still has a lot of contacts. I'm going to bring you to him and you, you give him that story. And I think he can get you an answer. So I sit down on the porch with this old black man. Okay. And he says, okay. He says, give me the information. And I write down the information and I give it to him. He says, okay, do you want me to have him killed? I had, that's the test that I had. $500. I could have had him killed. Wow. And what actually did stop me is that poem. Yeah. Okay. And my bargain with God to do it the right way. Okay. And at that time, I didn't know for sure the witness was going to come forward. I didn't know how much further I had to go in this thing. And I was burning out and frustrated and in everything. So, uh, but, but I didn't. Not a sad story to that story is uh, later, 10 years after he was in prison, he got a 15-year sentence. He had to serve 85% of it. After he was in prison for 10 years, we arranged to have a meeting with him. He consented to that, and we did too. And we had a heavy psychologist. He had to talk to us and talk to him and all that. They had to make sure that I wasn't carrying weapons or anything like that, <laughs> that I wasn't coming out there to kill him. Well, we sat down with the kid just like this, Okay. And we didn't have the glass between us. They let us sit in a the room. They had a guard standing right there, whatnot. And the kid says, uh, you know, I don't know who, who talked first, but at some point he says, Mr. Danny, I want to thank you. And I said, what's that, Jeffrey? He said, uh, I want to thank you for saving my life. And I kind of knew what he had meant because I had often thought about that because I also knew all the other runners in the area. I knew all of the kids' friends. In, in, in the course of my investigation. And almost all of them died on the streets while he was in prison. And so he was basically almost saying, now what he didn't realize is I could have had him killed. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I think I told him a little bit about that. You know, I could have had you killed, Jeffrey, and I, I didn't, okay? And I said, but you know, it wasn't me that saved your life. It was my son. Remember that poem? which he didn't remember. My son was against the death penalty. So I couldn't do it. And so, you know, that's a, a big backstory that didn't get highlighted. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, my feeling on the death penalty is that it should exist as an option because sometimes people go out there and they kill 10 people. And you're like, all right, you know, but I, I agree, they shouldn't sit on death row for 30 years. It should be much sooner and I don't think it's for most people. I think it's 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 the guy that killed five children. You know, it's it's like the really extreme cases that you're just like. I struggle with that. <laughs> but my kid won the argument. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, and I am a little more religious now. And and I think God ought to make that determination. I I, I didn't believe in the Old Testament eye for an eye or that that had meant life for a life. Okay. Uh, we have jails now that can keep. Now, what I mean life in prison, I mean life in prison. I don't mean no chance to get out. Okay. Yeah. That's, you wonder uh, if that's it, just it, as that's bad. probably worse for them. Yeah. Than killing them. So at least we don't have to be new killers are born. That rings in my head. Yeah. That's what we actually become. We who are for the death penalty become killers. I, I know we can maybe justify, <laughs> but you know, you, you know, you shouldn't justify it for revenge. Okay. At least the Christian. Yeah, thing. of course. I mean, I look at it just from only, a justice standpoint. Only as a deterrent. And it would be a deterrent if they killed him in two years. It might. Yeah. You kill him 30 years later, it's not a deterrent. A, a, a absolutely zero <laughs> deterrence out of that. Okay? Yeah, and I don't know. In I mean, fact, they become famous. Yeah. Uh, with the trials and all. <laughs> you know, they yeah. write books. They have girlfriends. They... they <laughs> Uh, that's a, another debate for another day. I understand both sides. I've been on both yeah, sides. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a, I've been challenged with this one. So I'm, uh, I'm super against abortion. Um, and I think as a Christian, you have to be like, I don't, I don't think there's any gray in any free Christian. If you're not Christian, I, I don't, you know, do rules even apply? Like do God's laws matter if you don't believe in God? You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot to go there. I, I agree. And so, Super against abortion, but not against the death penalty. And so I've been challenged on that before. And well, I'm not particularly challenging. I just <laughs> I, I stated my case. Yeah, my son stated his case, and I guess I'm biased. Okay, <laughs> all right, uh, but it saved the kid's life. Yeah, and, and my son would not have wrote that poem. I do believe I'd have been crazy enough to have him killed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think so. So, what what is it that's different about you than the Tens of thousands of other parents that this happens to. Was it just that you're that you made? Um, I'm not by saying any means you're rich or anything, but you had a good enough income that you could take away from your job to make this your full time job. And some people don't have that privilege, or that uh, your wife was supportive enough of you, or gave you enough of a like. She had a full time job. I did still work part time, but I went from like maybe forty hours a week to twenty hours a week. So uh, maybe I didn't. I still would say I was working another 50 or 60 hours a week on the case as much as I could. But I did work some. Now, for a while, for maybe the first two months, I didn't work at all. But then well, I started working a well, little What bit. is it about you versus other parents that this happens to? Well, I did have, a, I think, a pretty good head on my shoulders. I did have some means, okay? I, I think what really drove me to do this is that my son was what I'd call almost innocent, okay? You know... I had talked to other parents and all about their kids that had drug problems, okay, that, that some of them overdosed and died eventually, okay. And they all had stories of, it's kind of like, it, it, it sounds crazy, but it was, it was hurtful, but it was almost a relief because their kids had stole from them. Their kids had court dates. They had spent thousands of dollars on these kids in rehabs. Okay, and uh, although I believe every kid's a good kid and everybody's redeemable, okay, uh, these goods made their lives miserable. Danny, on the other hand, was naive. He thought nobody—if if I don't do anything wrong, nobody will hurt me. 
okay? He also was very, very early in this thing, okay? Uh, he was involved with crack from my understand, maybe six weeks, two months, okay? There were people that told me I've been up there for years and I didn't get shot and killed, okay? And it was really the bad acting kids up there that really did have long rap sheets and whatnot that probably added to this kid's fear when my son decided to come back to buy a little bit more crack, Okay, and so it just seemed so unfair, and it was unfair to me. In other words, I couldn't save him, okay, before he died, but maybe I could get justice, okay. And then it infuriated me when the cops acted the way they did and treated us like the way we did. Then it was it was not only fine justice for him; it was I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Okay, now I, I will say this: you know, I had maybe had some of the the underpinnings of determination, you might say. I had uh, built my own house, not everybody, the 3,500-square-foot house, subcontracted mainly, but also did a lot of work on intrude plans and whatnot. A lot of people don't do that type of thing. Second thing, one of the guys in the early documentary would say, do you remember anything else? And I said, well, you know, I said, I played high school football, and I, I was pretty good. I made all-district tackle, even though I was kind of small as a tackle. And I said, I remember a drill that we had one time. And his drill was you would get in the middle and you had all the other linemen around you. And they all had like dummies, okay? And they would one at a time hit you. And then another one come from another day. And you'd have to try to turn around and face the guy or, uh, that was hitting you. And one day the coach called me over and says, you know, I, I, when, I, when I was in that drill, I just almost would not go down. Okay. They, they beat the crap out of me in a sense. I mean, but, you know, with, with the dummies, okay? And coach called me on the side. He says, Danny, he says, look, he says, look, he says, I know you want to be macho. And I, he says, but look, the drill is, you know, you take four or five hits and you go down, <laughs> okay? And I, I had never thought about it that way, okay? He says, look, everybody else does. And I said, well, I just thought they, they got knocked down. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. He says, you take a couple of hits and you go down, okay? And so it, it just shows you that I guess I'm stubborn or, or determined, <laughs> okay? And so I, I guess, uh, but my son being almost innocent, and there's, there's more to that story too, okay? You see, my son left his house at 1030 at night, told us he was going to get some school notes, Okay. And he and he also said, he said, uh, uh, when he left, maybe five minutes, ten minutes after he left, we got a phone call from one of his friends, a kid named Ricky. Okay. And uh, we said, oh, Danny just left. He went to get some notes. He said, okay, fine. I'll, I'll call him no more or something like that. Later after his death, and I got all of the kids together, okay, and tried to find out when this started, how it started, what did they know, the whole nine yards. And believe it or not, I got a lot of deathbed confessions pretty much. I, I did, I'm not saying I knew 100% of what went on, but <laughs> I, I, I was able to get a pretty good picture of how long and who and what not, okay. And, but I come to find out that Danny, about a couple of weeks before, had talked to his friend Ricky and another guy named Bernie. He talked to them both. He said, look, man, he says, uh, this is different. He said, I'm craving this drug now, and I don't even want to go up there, okay? Uh, but I, I just can't find, I just can't resist. And and so he was asking for help from them, in a sense. And uh, they both said, well, look, man, call us up. We'll come over. We'll get a beer. We'll go shoot pool, do something like that, you know? Maybe even smoke pot, Paul, I know, okay? 
And uh, so they all agreed to that. Well, Danny called Bernie and Ricky that day. And Ricky was the guy that called him five minutes after they left. Wow. So another part of the story. Now, while we add it now, too, I will say this. I, I say I never had no signs, but actually a couple of weeks before my son's death, in hindsight, and even then I, I suspected something was going on, okay? He locked his keys in his car, uh, I think twice, forgetful, but he hadn't done that before. Okay. He, he, I don't know that I saw anything in his mannerisms, but I did see, I caught him in a lie. Now, you know, he, he, I catch him home one day sleeping. He's supposed to be in school. Okay. And I said, Danny, I said, you didn't have, uh, 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 and he didn't work the night before. Okay. I said, you didn't have work? And he says, no, no, they gave me the night off. Well, a little while later, his boss from Pizza Hut, delivering pizzas, calls up and says, is Danny okay? And I said, uh, no, why? She said, she says, well, he didn't show up last night. So I caught him in a lie. So I went to him and I said, Danny, I said, something going on. And, and uh, I said, are, are you using drugs? You know, I told him about the lie and I told him about what was going on. He says, are, are you using drugs? He says, no, dad. I said, have you tr- tested? Which I had had him tested before <laughs> and he passed the test. Okay. Uh, but uh, he says, uh, no, dad, but he says, I'm depressed. And recently I had had a, a, a friend of my aunt's committed suicide. Okay. And uh, I immediately thought, son, are you suicidal? Okay. And he said, no, dad. And this was a gift he gave us. He said, no, dad, I got good parents. Okay. Uh, I got a nice truck. I got a great girlfriend. He said, I'm just frustrated with myself. You know, I'm I'm not doing as well in school as I would like to be. Uh, I don't know exactly what I want to do in life. Okay. And so I had a, it's sad now. Okay. But I had a like heart to heart talk with him a little bit about that. Cause I, 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 you know, I, I knew he had been asking me like, how much does a pharmacist make and how much does this person make? And, and I knew, you know, like most kids, they like to do what their dad did or better. <laughs> okay. And sometimes that's pressure on kids. So, you know, I even told him, I said, look, son, I said, mom and dad, we don't, you know, you do the best you can. Okay. But if you're a beer truck driver or you're a mailman, it's, we're happy as long as you live a good life and do the right thing. Okay. And, uh, and I told him, I said, make a to-do list and, and organize yourself and whatnot. I, I, and, and, and then I said, when I go to work in a couple of days, I'll get a, uh, I'll get a prescription for Prozac for you, an antidepressant, and I'll get a sleep aid for you. Okay. In the meantime, I said, I'd like you to take a Benadryl and a beer. That'll probably help you go to sleep. He said, great, Dad. Well, just a couple of days later now, and this is now even closer to his death, because that was only maybe a week before his death, okay? He comes to me and says, Dad, you know, I really liked that meeting the other day that we had. He said, uh, I decided I'm going to, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to shoot to be a draftsman. Maybe later I'll go to be an architect, because he wanted to be an architect, okay? And, uh, and, and he said, and I'm going to make the to-do list. And he says, he says, and, and I want to, and so he says, uh, and I also want to tell you something. He says, I, 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 I write poetry. And, and I knew he had written some poetry and short stories and stuff like that. And I said, but I'd like to do that. He said, I probably can't make a living at it, but I'd like to do that. And I said, well, that's great. He says, and I'd like to do one other thing. And I said, what's that? He, said, he says, I'd like to discourage kids from doing drugs. And at the time, that actually 
disarmed me even more. I believed yeah. even more that he wasn't doing drugs. I basically said, this kid finally gets it. <laughs> and so we had this real warm interaction right before he died, which is also a gift. Okay. And he said good things about us and whatnot. And, and, and here's this kid wanting to do the right thing. He's calling his friends, trying to get help. Okay. And I found all this out. And all that added up to is this just shouldn't have happened to him. This shouldn't have happened to us. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that added to the fire that I had that, uh, you know, I had to undo as much of this as I can. And then I got to try to save other kids. Yeah. It was all those things. It was where is where he was shot and how it ricocheted. I mean, it's just all these things that I'm sure just piled. It, yeah, it did. It, everything went wrong for that kid that night. Threw himself forward, seatbelt catch. He throws his arm up, it ricochets into his. You know, you know, it just. You know, the, the kid thinks he's coming back to, to, to beat him up. And my son's in the past, that's happened. He just drove off, okay? He's got a few dollars left. He's going back to buy, you know. And that added uh, to my fury. Then, then the cops treat him like a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 okay? And in fact, you know what they do? This is another part of the story, okay? And this may or may not be told in the story, okay? They go to, uh, I tell him where he works at. I tell him some kids to talk to. I try to help him with the investigation, okay? They go to his work. I get a call from his pizza manager. She says, Mr. Dan, the police were just here. I said, yeah, no, I sent them. <laughs> she says, yeah, but he says, something's wrong. They asked me one question. I said, what's that? He says, how much was he stealing? And she said, I said, Ann, and she said, he's my best employee. He was never short a nickel. And that's what he told the cops. So, I call the cops up, and they go, well, you know, he's probably stealing from you. And so I, it was like a punch in the gut. And I said, I thought to myself, I own some apartments. He would help me cut the grass and fix the toilets and all this. I own four fourplexes, 16 apartments. He was my maintenance man. Okay. If you ever want to sell those, let me know. I've been buying I, multifamily. I have already sold them. Okay. <laughs> way back then I had them. Okay. And so any event we did what most landlords do. We took a little cash on the side. Okay. Uh then you know, off the record, you know. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so any event, we, we had a couple thousand dollars always in the house, cash, you know, and we used that for like spend money. The kids knew where it was at. And in fact, there was a tablet there, okay, and they were authorized to use it, okay. Although they had a, they had to write what it was, and obviously, if they had taken five hundred dollars out or something like that, I had a, <laughs> I'd had a shit fit, okay. But the uh, uh, so I said, I said, my God, maybe he was. So I went and counted the money, not a penny short. And I said, these son of a bitches, you know, they they supposed to be looking for his killer. They trying to find out what kind of criminal he is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this kid was. Killing himself trying to save himself. Okay? How did you not have a heart attack? I mean, you're just, you're so intense. You work so hard at this. It's because you have health issues. I guess I'm okay. I don't know. I got a little bit of high blood pressure. I'm overweight. Okay. Uh, I take blood pressure medicine. It's controlled. I take uh, uh, cholesterol medicine to make sure my heart prophylactically. Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've been, I guess in that sense, I've been blessed. All right. So that's, that's stage one of this. That's, that's then, most of that's not the entire first story but it's most of it yeah and then <laughs> this the second part's what what got me because it was like 
it's such clear corruption. It's like, how, how is this a thing? So the I'll intro into the second part, and you can fill in the gaps, and we can go deep into, of course. Um, so you go back to being a pharmacist full-time, and uh, you start to see a rise in in what? What what drug are you writing prescriptions sure. for? I, I start seeing a rise in uh, OxyContin prescriptions. All opioids, but particularly OxyContin, and they mainly from one doctor. But let me clarify something right now. You know, remember, I made a bargain with God. The bargain with God now, I have to go on this mission. Okay? So we come home from the sentencing, the day he sentenced. And, uh, and we come home, and my answer phone is beeping. And I pick it up, and it's his high school teacher. I call him back. He says, call me back. I called him back. He says, Dan, he says, I don't know if you're ready for this. I don't know where your son's case is at. I don't know if it's been resolved or not. He said, but uh, we haven't read Ribbon Week, okay? And uh, we'd like to see if, if you're up to it, maybe you can come talk at school. Well, what was my bargain with God? Yeah, it's a activism. Now, this happens the day I come back. <laughs> now, my wife is saying, take a, we got to take a break. Like, you, you start yeah. doing that later. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you start doing that later, but... It was almost like an omen, okay? And the guy, the, the, the guy that calls me, his English teacher, was the guy that helped him with that poem, 1201. So was it named it's 1201? All, it, yeah, it was named 1201. I'm going to get you a copy of it. <laughs> you can give me your email address again, and whatnot. I'll send you a copy of it, okay? And, and he and was it, killed at 1208. Declared dead. So. <laughs> Unbelievable. I know. Now, 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 in fairness, now, I'm sure 1201 had something to do, a lot of time the death penalty is, I don't know if it's 1201 or it's 12, but it's a, lots of times it's around that time. And I, I, that probably had something to do with it, okay? But the fact that he dies also around that time is we, weird, okay? And he could have named it something else. Too. I have chills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so in any event, uh, I decide I'm going to do it, okay? And then, and I will say this. I wonder sometime if I would have put it off, whether I would have went through with that deal, okay? Now, I probably would have. But I jump right into it. Now, meantime, though, at the store, I'm seeing this doctor. Now, my wife is also saying, no more investigations. Okay, So I'm telling her about this doctor, and I'm seeing what the <laughs> hell is going on. And uh, I'm saying, somebody's got to do something. So I do, the, I, do the, I do the easy things again. I call the cops. Okay. And uh, I, I didn't work for her. <laughs> I didn't call the New Orleans police, okay, because I... I had just had bad deals with them, okay? <laughs> and she was in Orleans, just outside of our little suburban parish, okay? And so I called our local police, and they said, oh, man, we've been trying to get her. He said, but she's out of our jurisdiction, and supposedly the FBI and the DEA is working on it, okay? And, you know, and so I give him as much information as I can, and and and, and, and I also call the medical board, okay? And I, and I report her, okay? And they don't make a big deal out of it. Now I'm all of a sudden saying, you know, damn, you know, I mean, and then I start having this feeling that, you know, Dan, you're in the right place. Okay. Maybe, maybe God puts you here. Okay. I mean, you, 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 you alert right now. You're seeing things that other people aren't seeing. You're not turning your head away like most people would have done. Maybe I would have done that myself yeah. previously. I'm seeing young kids that's 22 years old look like my son. 
okay? And they taking these drugs, and, and, I, and I'm going to funerals. They're overdosing and dying, okay? And you got this one doctor out in, in New Orleans East. Uh, you know, we would name, lay the name of the Wicked Witches the East, okay? And uh, so I started my investigation. I started asking patients, and I started. I brought my recorder, and I would start recording uh, them. <laughs> I kind of used some of the some of the things okay and but even before that now not a funny part of the backstory is is i uh the wife still wanted me to take a break now i'm already starting to talk in schools but i'm not sure i want to do this investigation how deep i want to get okay and so we take a a break and we the saints our football team down there which Back then, they weren't any good. But they finally won a playoff game, and they were playing a second playoff game in Minnesota. This is year 2001. Okay. Was Drew Brees there? No, okay. that was before. I can't even remember the quarterback. That was way before <laughs> Drew Brees. This Got is it. 20 years ago. Okay. And so uh, we go to Minnesota, and we take a driving trip. Okay. And we take along a friend who has a son in Chicago that's going to law school, but he's got cancer of the jaw, and they not sure they got it all. And so she says, look, will you ride me up to Chicago, drop me off, and and, and, and y'all go to the game. She didn't even want to go to the game, okay? And on the way back, pick it up, and, and we knew her son. Her son knew my, my son. And so we also wanted to see him, and, you know, she thought he might die, actually, okay, at that time. So we do that. Well, another part of the crazy story is we, we do – uh, my video cam- camera, the old one, is a clunker, big, heavy suck, <laughs> yeah. sucker, you know, okay. And we walk into the Mall of Americas in Minnesota, okay, big mall, fancy thing back then, okay. And I see this brand new, smaller video camera, latest concoction, okay. It's like 1500 bucks back then, okay. And uh, I buy it. You know, the wife tells me, oh, wait, we don't need that thing right now. It's too much money. <laughs> you didn't shop it and all this stuff. Yeah, but I said, but we up here, I want to I want to film the Amish people. I want to film the snow. I want to film some of the game. I felt like they were going to win the game and all this kind of stuff. This is our break, okay? Well, long story short, we start driving back home, okay? And it's early in the morning, okay? And uh, that lady that's uh, my, that I brought to Chicago, her name's Debbie. She's in the docuseries. They got a piece of this in the docuseries. And she's sitting in the seat next to me. My wife and my daughter sleeping in the back seat. And we run along, and I'm telling her about this doctor because that's what's on my mind. I said, you know, nobody's doing anything. I don't know what to do, you know. But, I, you know, I don't really want to get involved. She says, Snyder, you're going to shut her down. And I said, well, he's, that's easy for you to say, Debbie. I said, you don't know all this entails, and, and Annie doesn't really want me doing this thing. And, you know, geez, I mean, the FBI and the DEA and all these people are working on this thing, supposedly. She says, you're going to shut her down. And this is the words I say. I say, well, you know, I made a bargain with God. But my bargain with God was to teach kids and parents, okay? It wasn't to further investigate. (laughs) And I said, so if I'm going to start investigating, I need a direct sign from God. Immediately out of the windshield of the car, across a pierce. Wow. I'm sure it was sunlight clouds or something there was a little snow particles that day but the formation of a cross actually appears in front of us i think i'm hallucinating (laughs) i'm still a believer but a doubter and all this kind of stuff okay and i say debbie you see what i see 
Yeah, Snyder, that's a cross. She's kind of one of those clairvoyant type of people. You know, she didn't even surprise her, okay? Think to myself, my God, my wife's never going to believe this crap. <laughs> so we wake my daughter and, and my wife up, and we we make sure we don't say anything. Say, look, look out the windshield and call, do you see anything strange? We see a cross. So we actually had, I, I do think it's a miracle now, because because I, I've never, you know, there's a lot of things that you can call miracles, in the whole story of this thing, there's a lot of like mini miracles, I call <laughs> yeah. But this one is, uh, the minute I asked for it, I got the answer. Yeah. Okay. And, and then other people witnessed it with me. Is that my imagination? Okay. We go home that very night. We arrive home about two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the morning. We put my daughter to bed. I've been told that this doctor's open at two o'clock in the morning. I think they exaggerate. I know she's bad, but I just, I think the people hyperbole. Okay. And that there's hundreds of people at two o'clock in the morning. So well, how can that be? I mean, the cops or the DA can't do nothing about this if that's true. So I told my wife, I said, look, honey, I said, I said, I got this new camera. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take a look and see. Go and try it, this camera out. <laughs> you know, so got to try the camera out. Exactly. Okay. And she says, I'm going with you. And she was dead against it, but she saw that cross. And then she and me together went out there. And she's on the tape uh, that they show some of that tape, but yeah. she's actually videoing. She can hear her talking. In the back. It was a talkie uh, uh, camera too, you know? So we even had to narrating some of what we were seeing. <laughs> and so, you know, th that's how we got started in this thing. And, th and then it th took, that was 2001. And, she was shut down January 2001 that I really started seriously working on it. And in February of 2002, I got a shutdown. 13 months. And, as, and the DEA couldn't do it, and the FBI couldn't do it. <laughs> but when they shut it down, they showed up and tried to take credit for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I want to clarify some some facts about this, this woman who's just insane. Uh, so first off, her office hours were from like 12 p.m. to like 2 a.m. They were from sunrise to sunset, but the opposite way. Uh, sunset <laughs> to sunrise. It's <laughs> so like 5 p.m. Well, maybe 6 or 7, you know, or 7 <laughs> to like 4 in the morning or something. Okay. And then she had police officers that were there. On a porch. Yeah. In fact, my wife, well, my wife sees that you can even hear in the video, I'm pretty sure, and she says, oh, my God, okay, New Orleans police officers, <laughs> the same people that I just had trouble with, oh, oh, okay, I said, you know, so. And then at one point, she tries to get you to go away by offering you prescriptions, right? Is it, Or is that, that somebody else that? No, no, that is somebody else. That, that okay. was, oh, this one was. It was that IT guy that set up a printer. He tried to pay her. This is how crazy this lady is. <laughs> This lady is so crazy that when she got a two, and she's making bank probably, had to be, right? Yeah. Um, she got like a $200 invoice for somebody that fits her printer. Yeah. And this guy worked for a company. It wasn't his own business. Yeah. <laughs> she said, I'm going to give you a prescription for this instead of pay this invoice. Yeah. That would have normally cost $200 for a visit. Okay. Now, <laughs> by the way, now, this kid had issues. And I recruited this kid. This is another kid that kind of vaguely is almost related to me, but I barely knew him, okay? But he was a kid, too, that didn't like what was going on. 
he didn't like where he was at, and he didn't like what was going on. He wasn't really one of the worst, okay, but he, he had some issues, okay. And so I basically recruited him. He was one of my moles inside her office. <laughs> you know, he showed me the outline of it, where the money was stashed, you know, who, who the cops were on the porch and all this kind of stuff. But he also told me the story. Okay, and we eventually brought that to the DEA, okay? And rather than follow up on that lead, they tried to hit the kid up to get his friends that might be selling pills. That's another whole story. You can do a chapter. Okay. You can do a chapter on that. Yeah, you're right. He goes there, fixes a printer or a computer or something like that, and the, the the cop that was there gets three prescriptions from him, okay, hands them to him. That would have been a three hundred two or three hundred dollar visit, okay, and says, Here, this is your payment. He says, No, no, wait, I gotta bring money back to the company. He says, if you know what's good for you, take it. Well, that ticked him off. Which is another reason why I think he sided with me. So there was a lot of little What what kind of money do you think she was making? Well, I actually estimated at one time, you know, I, I, they, they talk about that a little bit in docus, and I, I really think, you know, they guess they got to use conservative numbers, okay? And I could be wrong, but I, I calculated one time that I thought she could have possibly been bringing in as much as $20 million a year. Now, maybe that's impossible, but, you know, they, they said she, she saw the, some of the records of like 100 patients a day. I've seen way more patients than that, okay? And if it was 200 patients a day and she was averaging 200 and it was five days a week and she did this for like two years, okay? There might have been $20 million in two years, okay? But I, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know if it was $20 million. It was a ton of, ton, ton of money, ton of money. And what was she doing with it? That's a good question. That's another little sod story in this thing. And this is how I asked She didn't end up crazy rich, right? Like she lit. She, well, no, she was penniless at the end. Yeah. She was, <laughs> this is how you. Whether, if you're listening to this, you don't believe in God. She got in a car wreck and right. And got like uh, where she can't move anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the most God. I don't know. Karma got him. <laughs> I don't know if karma's real. But this lady. <laughs> got like. Hundreds of thousands of people hooked on drugs and then got almost well, killed in a wreck. funny stories about her. She did make an attempt. She was summarily uh, 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 suspended. It was the first doctor that was summarily suspended. We didn't emphasize that either. I don't even know if there's been another doctor summarily suspended. What does that mean? Well, what it means is usually they, they, they give a doctor a warning and he's got to go to trial. He's got to kind of like uh, – uh, They've got to make a case against him, okay? But he usually gets to operate for a period of time, okay? Summarily suspended means he's such a threat that you shut him down immediately. And I had to find a smoking gun on that. That's kind of in the story a little bit, okay? And I actually do find a smoking gun, another God thing that walks into my store, a perfect setup, okay? Uh, A smoking gun where she writes prescriptions for a young girl who weighs 100 pounds that the dose as prescribed would kill her. Now, usually the dose as prescribed, she can always make an excuse that, oh, the reason why they died is uh, uh, they overdid it, which in most cases was the truth. But with this girl, which it probably was for the, her mama probably, she was using a girl to get the dog on pills, okay? But she wrote it. And then another strange things happened. Me and her was on, she knew I was after her, okay? And so many times I would call her on things and she wouldn't even answer me. I took a shot at calling her. Okay, because I'd already gotten with the medical board we were working on this case, okay? And they wanted more. So we need a smoking gun for us to actually move and summarily suspend her. Well, then this girl walks in, and I got this situation, so I call her. You call her, her and she confirms that everything's right. She, yeah. 
<laughs> she agrees with it and calls me an effing, who made you an effing doctor? And, and, and believe it or not, though, I did screw up in my recording. I didn't have my recorder that day. I could have killed myself, okay? But, <laughs> but we had a speakerphone and we got everybody in the store because we wanted to hear what she said. We didn't know she was going to say that. I thought she was going to deny that she wrote the script. She could have said, oh, I didn't write them scripts. That's forgeries. Maybe we could have disproved that, but that wouldn't, you know, she said, I wrote them. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I said, well, you do, as prescribed, you know, it would kill them. And she says, who made you an effing doctor? <laughs> yeah. So I was able to give that to the medical board and they said, well, this is it. They bingo. They, they had the black pickup truck. I mean, the story is that individual people have way more power than, than entire government agencies. Yeah, yes. And, and I, and I will, I will say one thing. I had something once I was able to mo- motivate the medical board, they they could shut it down based upon a preponderance of evidence. The police, you know, they have restrictions and things they can do and they can't do. Now, I, I, I don't give them all those excuses, okay? <laughs> they had plenty of time. She was so out of the box. I actually do believe, I actually do believe there's a chance that the FBI, one of the a- agents at the FBI was in cahoots with her. Maybe be paid off. You say, where did the money go? Okay. Uh, and, and I know she was involved with somebody else. Uh, in the course of my investigation, I uncovered a few things. And back to what you just said, okay, uh, the, where did the money go? Because I reported it at IRS too earlier. That was one of my first things I did. I figured this woman, let's get her on. If we can't get her <laughs> like Al Capone, you know, we, we get him on, on. You're scarier than any cop. I would hate you coming at me. <laughs> Uh, I was I was committed, man. God had spoken to me. I was I was fighting for these kids. You're and like, I'm running the numbers. She's not paying taxes on this. Well, I had another mole. Okay, another guy named Mike, and he was another mole. I had befriended him. And he was another guy that was one of our patients. Okay, but he wasn't selling drugs. He wasn't really abusing it too bad. He had a he was a drugstore addict. He, he was hooked on the drugs. Okay, and uh, lots of times I would give him a little break. You know, like maybe I wouldn't give him a bad time. Okay. So I befriended him and uh, he comes to me one day and he says, Dan, he says, he gave me a lot of information, but he comes in one day, he says, Dan, he says, something really strange happened. He says, I went to get a passport and there's this big building in, in New Orleans where, where you had to go to get your passport back then. And when I was in there, one of her cops, her bodyguard cop, okay, was in there and he was getting a passport and I told, asked him where he was going and he's going like some Cayman Islands. And I go, damn. Now, it was speculation, but to me, this is worthwhile. Well, I contact the FBI. Well, first I contacted the DEA. They said, oh, no, you got to go to the FBI with that. But first I contacted the FBI. They sent me to the DEA. They had us on this case. Now I go to DEA, and they sent me back to the FBI because it's maybe money laundering, I guess. So maybe that's the case. I make a phone call to the FBI, and then I have a big run-in with the FBI. Okay. And one of the agents there seemed like he was stalling, okay? And so, and it's too much of a story, but there's a couple other indications that this guy might have been dirty. I don't know that I could prove it. I eventually would go to the feds and and reporting. And they did take all the information and they said they were going to look into it. And I I said, I said, can you let me know what happened? And he said, you'll never know what happened. <laughs> okay. And he did leave the FBI shortly after that. I don't know if he was fired or he just quit, but, but he left the FBI eventually. Okay. 
you know, uh, you know, I, I actually kind of ran into an underworld too. There was another uh, politician there that that uh, that she was in bed with to some some extent. Uh, I caught them two together in in a meeting, or I was able to observe them in a meeting. Okay, believe it or not, the FBI guy was there too. <laughs> okay, now the question is, was he there as part of the meeting? Because I didn't see him come out with them, okay, but I saw him, and it almost, almost could assume he came out with them, okay, uh, but maybe he was also there observing them. He was in plain clothes, yeah, but I recognized him, okay. It, it, it's a really, really long, convoluted <laughs> story, okay, and uh, I still to this day don't know whether he was dirty, but let me tell you, he had the ability to stall that case or to not make the move, and uh, I wonder. I wonder if you heard on that uh, docu series too. After all that fell apart, then the, then the FBI is chasing me, and they saying we're going to arrest you for interfering with our investigation because everywhere I went, they were, <laughs> and they and, and I was, okay. And, and so maybe I saw it was in a way, maybe you know I don't know, but you know again I was. So then they tell me they said after this black politician runs for election, we're about ready to close in on him. Okay, and, and they tell me to back off. They actually call, call me up and they say, look, Dan, we need you to back off for a little while. <laughs> you say, no, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. They need you to back off right after the election. We go in. So then I started believing where they were going for the bigger fish. That's why they were holding this up. Of course, I'm still frustrated with that because kids are dying. Okay, but maybe that's that might even still be possible. Okay, that they were trying to get, get them both together. So I go ahead and I wait. And I basically do nothing, okay? Go to funerals, okay? And uh, so she's, sure enough, the election's over with. He loses the election, by the way, okay? It's over with. Two months, three months, nothing, okay? And so I had, right around the time I gave up, I sort of gave up, when they told me that we're going to arrest you and all this kind of crap, and they told me to back off and all this kind of stuff, I wrote another letter to the medical board with a whole bunch of information. They sat on that letter for probably four or five months. Okay, And there was a period of time where I was doing nothing, totally frustrated. Okay, And finally this guy, Ed, uh, uh, Papali, George Papali, calls me up. He's with the medical board. He says, Dan, I'm reading your letter here that you sent such and such. He says, look, we, we really, we are trying to build a case. Now, believe it or not, I now know that I had put a lot of pressure on the medical board because after I videoed that, I called up Channel 4, okay, and Channel 4 is a local TV station down there, and I got them to go out and videotape it. And they showed it on TV. They showed 2 o'clock in the morning cars coming and going police on the porch. Well, immediately the New Orleans Police Department then took them off the porch. But also the medical <laughs> board saw this, and I'm sure there were people calling the medical board. Okay, so now the medical board wants to move, but they need more evidence. So they, they said, look, we contacted a lot of people about this, okay, but we can't get too many people to come forward. And this is another story, and I don't know if I use these words, but uh, it seems like I use something similar to this. George asked me, he says, look, he says, uh, are you willing to do this? And I said, let's roll. Okay, and sure enough, we got together, and really within just a couple of months, we did it. Okay, but we had a girl walk into the store and whatnot, you know, and and so, wow, I don't know, you know, it's uh, 
it's it's complicated uh and yeah a lot of hurdles to overcome you know when you gotta you gotta jump over the police okay and you're right i guess an individual i didn't have i guess i'm justifying the police a little bit i didn't have the constraints that they had sometime the, the things that they maybe couldn't do that i that i could do uh I know I was half crazy, I guess. You know, but <laughs> All right. It worked. So her money, some of it went to paying off people. And then do you know I mean, do we have any clue where it just disappeared to? Well, once she was an addict herself. Okay? Yeah. So she spent the significant I I do know she also frequented the casinos. So she gambled heavily. Okay. So I'm sure she lost a lot there. I'm sure that big black politicians was, was in on this deal. That was crazy too. He was he was in with her. Saw that meeting. Uh, apparently, he was tied together with the FBI. Just about conceded that to me. Okay, and uh, he owned the methadone clinics. And think about that. You get them addicted <laughs> if they want to be treated. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great it's, business. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a great business, okay. And, and so, so he got some money. Then, if this FBI guy was on the take, he got some money. And then, you know, who else knows she was paying off? So, but I, I don't know how right. she flitted the money away. But you know, so you bust her, and then after she's busted, she. uh ends up like she goes broke pretty soon after i don't think she went immediately broke. okay okay i don't think so and and the, the question would be more clearly why wasn't she prosecuted right then and there okay well again the wheels of justice they say move slowly okay here she lucks out karma worked against her but sometimes it worked for her okay they are building a case between, I shut it down in 2002, they ready to go to trial with her, and I'm the key witness. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hits. Okay. Blows New Orleans apart. So they don't get back to the trial to 2008. By that time, she's had the accident. She's an invalid almost. Okay. They call me into the federal, federal people, and, they, and again, most of the witnesses are gone. Dad uh, flew the country, don't want to come forward. They got me, and they say, well, we got a good witness in you. We try to look at this case and study what we're going to do. Okay, That's when I tell them about the FBI guy when I'm up there talking about this in 2008, finally. Okay? And, and so they call me back at home. This is the... Federal prosecutor, okay, U.S. attorney, okay, and they, they call me up at home and say, "Look, Dan, we want to run this by you. You know, you, you integral in the, in this case." He says, uh, "I know you put a lot of time into it, but you know, uh, we're considering giving her a plea deal in no time." I said, "What?" You know, he says, "Well, this is the story now. Okay, she got in a bad car accident. She's got half a brain. She's an invalid." If we put her in jail, we're going to have to house her in some special facility. Okay. They tell me, I don't know if it's true or not, it's going to cost a couple of million dollars to actually prosecute the case. And we're 90% sure we'll get 20 years for her. Okay. But there's always a chance maybe we don't. Okay. So, you know, you know, the woman's penniless now. Okay. She's an invalid now. Okay. She had been working at Taco Bell as an assistant manager. 
before she had the rock. Okay. And, and so, so we're going to give her, she's never can ever practice medicine again. We're going to, we're going to give her fine. Okay. She's going to be on probation. Okay. And that's it. And they said, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I don't want you spending the money on that. You know, I mean, you know, I don't think it's right. But I had to face the same thing with my son with that 15 years, okay? Uh, you know, and so justice isn't always fair, okay? But uh, karma got her. She didn't have much of a life anyway. Yeah, so tell me about this car wreck. I don't know the details of the car wreck. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know the detail other than she had a bad car wreck and it, it bashed her head in or something. And Yeah, because and, her interview was very... Yeah, you could tell she wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah. But that also was somewhat from drugs too, maybe. Cause yeah, she, that's what I couldn't tell if if she was if it was just like drug addiction or if it was like not not a funny story. This is a funny story. So she attempts for a little while after the two thousand two shutdown. She does make one attempt at, at getting her license back. Okay, and I got to go in a deposition, and that that kid that with the computer store yeah. here has got to go in a deposition, all this stuff. And they, they trying to belittle me like the normal guy. They trying to say <laughs> you and your son were selling drugs or, or, you know, <laughs> that you got some skeletons in your closet or something, that, you know, whatnot. And stupid fool asked me a question. Once he says, he says, he says, Dan, how much would you have done? How much money would you have spent to persecute my doctor? Okay. Or the doctor. And I looked at him and I said, What's a life worth? And he says, no, no, no. You don't get to answer the, uh, ask the questions here. I answer the questions. Says, that wasn't a question. That was the answer. <laughs> Basically, he's telling him, I'd have done anything. Okay. The court report, everybody was in total silence. All the attorneys there and all this kind of <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, she's not getting that license back. So, so she's not getting that license back, okay? <laughs> and, and, and her attorney knows that, okay? So then she tries to plead that she's a drug addict because they got rehab programs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, 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 I'm a, now I'm a drug addict, and, and maybe she can get in a rehabilitation program or something like this, okay? So, so I live in this little town called Mandeville. I used to live in a town called Chalmette. Okay. After Katrina, I moved to Mandeville. Mandeville has a mental hospital there, okay? And it used to be a joke in our area, like, you know, if you're crazy or whatnot, you, they send you to Mandeville. Okay. Later, I wound up living in Mandeville. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, in any event, they send her to Mandeville, okay? And they almost kill her there. Now, I don't know if it's literally kill her, okay? Because everybody in there was some patients. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! Not a common, not a common thing. So that she she really couldn't only get rehab because <laughs> her patients were everywhere trying to get well. Ooh, wow! <laughs> I know uh, the irony of it, huh? All right, so this is how you spend twenty years of your life. Well, yeah, but remember now. Well, I guess really just 10, actually, because your well, son was. Well, let me tell you what happened after that. First off, after that, I go after Purdue. Now, maybe it's slightly exaggerated how much I went after him, okay? There's a lot of other people now I know around the country. There's a movie out right now called Dope Sick. 
you ought to watch that. They, they, they yeah, were there. for sure. There were a lot of other people that I think did more than I did. But I did go after Purdue. I called them and I tried to warn them and I tried to, you know, again, I was naive, thought maybe you should <laughs> Yeah, they didn't mean to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, I know. And I, I gave them a solution that maybe would have reduced its uh, 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 ability to be abused and whatnot. And they told me they couldn't do it uh, about five years later or so. They did it, okay? But they took five years to do it, okay? And when they did it, sales went down. And they knew when they fixed this thing where it wasn't as easily abusable, okay, they were going to lose a big share of the market because most of the people buying this didn't really need it for pain. They, they were abusing it, yeah. okay? And they knew that, okay? That's how they were making billions of dollars and all this kind of stuff. So uh, so I went after them, and I did a lot, a lot of things on that. But I also knew I was trying to get at the problem you know, I, I did shit down two other doctors, okay, but but they they weren't nowhere near what she was, okay. One of them I even felt a little bad for, okay. Uh, he got caught up in something and thought he was a halfway decent guy, but uh, he was a little crazy, okay. And so I did shut a couple of doctors, but I gave that up. And my wife said, you can't keep doing this, okay. And I said, yeah, you're right, okay. And I tried to go back to the education phase. But I also got together and we wrote a pain clinic law in our parish, Okay, because we didn't want the pain clinics coming into our parish. Okay, and so we wrote that and we got it signed by the governor, and I was there at the signing ceremony. Okay, and there's a bunch of then I then I tried to build a coalition of people uh, that I thought maybe we could get some political influence. Okay, and right before Katrina, I was getting ready to have a town hall. Okay, and I had about fifty people signed up that said they were willing to be volunteers. I don't know whether they would have been or not. Okay, and Katrina hit. And our world blew apart. And that is kind of shown in the docuseries, okay? Yeah. So for really about at least three or four years, I moved to Mandeville. Uh, I had to reconstruct my, my apartments. I, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was survival. So, so I did virtually no advocacy. And then it was about 2008 or 2009, I started keying in a little bit. I started, I joined a New Orleans coalition and I was learning more about what was going on then. Okay. And then, but there were intervals too, where I still was not really that, that active. Okay. And then in, I think it's 2012, I started form a coalition uh, in my parish and we built a coalition there and uh, it, it, it is shown, but Never really got off the ground, uh, not the way I really wanted it. it. It wasn't a real success story, okay? He had all the right ingredients. It was like an airplane running down the runway, but you could never get enough speed to take off. But then I turned 65, and my wife was getting a little burnt out on this. My daughter was getting burnt. I was getting burnt out on it, okay? And she said, look, you've got your first grandbaby. At 65, I had my first grandbaby for my daughter. They said, why don't you just retire from this? I retired completely, okay? I, I, I resigned from the, uh, wow. as, as the president of the, the coalition. And I was the thing holding it together, even though I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do. Uh, they kept it going for three or four months later and it, it folded. Okay. Years later, something close to that kind of came back. Okay. Uh, but, uh, so that, I was idle then for about two or three years. And this guy calls me up, guy, Jed, Jed Lipinski with the New Orleans newspaper. And, uh, the way he reached me was, it's a funny story, again, he lives in the New York area, northeast. He gets, uh, he, he, he's, he gets a better job in New Orleans, awful. So he moves to New Orleans, he 
goes to work for the Times Picayune Advocate, which is the big newspaper down there, and they appoint him as the health reporter. And his first assignment is to do a story on the origins of the opioid epidemic. Okay, this is three years ago now. Okay, and they fly him back to New York because there's a convention going on about the opioid crisis. And when he's there, he reads a, a magazine, Time Magazine, and early on, and it, 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 it highlights there's three places in the country that are hot spots for uh, uh, OxyContin. My parish was one of them. <laughs> By the way, that was another thing that motivated me. That came out in January of 2001. You can go back and get Time Magazine, January 2001. It came out when it named my parish. That was nothing determined me to shut her down. I said, I can't believe my parish finally makes Time Magazine (laughs) for this crap, okay? And so it it fired me up at the time. Now, it also fires him up. He goes, oh, my God, I'm going to go back home. Right outside of New Orleans is where this originated. It was one of the hot spots in the country in the very beginning. He goes down there, and and they starts talking to the politician, whoever's still there that knew what went on 20 years before, 18 years before, something like that. And they say, you got to talk to Dan Snyder. Well, who's Dan Snyder? Well, he's a pharmacist, and uh, he, he, he was all involved in it. He, he's, he's the guy that shut her down. So I get this phone call out of the blue. I'm retired now for a couple of years. I get the phone call from him. He says, uh, Dan? I said, yeah. He says, look, I'm a reporter for the Times Picayune. I'm doing a story in opioid. I'd like to interview you. My wife's listening in. She goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> I hesitated. I said, look, I got to think about this. Well, I thought about it. I said, well, you know, I'd almost started to write a book at one time. I had all these tapes and videos and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, this story ought to be out there. It really ought to be. Maybe maybe it could do some good for awareness and, uh, you know, maybe even help my cause, you know, do, do my mission. Okay. And so I say, yes. He works on the story for about, geez, six months. Investigate this. A great story. NOLA.com. If you still it's still online, NOLA.com, uh, Justice for Danny is titled. Eight page leaflet they put in the Times Picayune. It it, it phenomenal. Uh, I get accolades from not just the New Orleans area, but far reaching. Yep. I got about three or four offers from around the country to either they want to do more on this, either documentary or a movie or something like this. Okay. Group from New York contacts me. They hire Jed Lipinski. Bringing him back home, okay. They, he leaves. He leaves the pick of you, and he goes back home. And so I decided to go with Jed and the group in New York. They create a sizzle reel, okay, and they submit it to uh, uh, Netflix, and Netflix buys it, and then uh, the rest is history. Hundred million people have seen it. <laughs> and so, but so you asked what, kind of what went on. It was kind of mixed after two thousand after Hurricane Katrina. Couple of years off, a little bit of work here and there. Uh, and then a little burst of uh, work a couple times, and then total retirement. Now, when when it gets spot, do you get paid? What's that? Are you a percentage owner of the show? No, okay. no, no. That, no that, that's kind of a ripoff. In fact, I don't know whether it's true or not, but they say they don't pay people for docuseries. Okay. Now, they kind of did sort of pay me, okay, and I'm not supposed to disclose what it is, but it wasn't really Big money. It was a little, little, little money. It was a little money. It wasn't, you know, wasn't five hundred dollars, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't big money. Okay, and uh, and no no residuals. Yeah, so you uh, don't. Uh, if it gets bought yeah. again, but you don't see the it. way they paid me. They claimed they they paid me for what they call it uh, materials I had. Uh, they got a phrase for that. 
Collateral? I don't know. No, no. Archival. Okay. They pay me archival fees, okay, for all my tapes and all my papers and everything, okay? And so I sort of got a little payment out of it, okay? Uh, But it wasn't. Surely wasn't enough. Now, yeah. hopefully, if, if we got a movie in the works, and, and there is a chance I could make some money in the movie. And if I ever manage to get a book written, and I'm going to try to get a, a <laughs> co-writer or something to write it, because I don't think I'm quite up to writing it, uh, but I can tell a story, and, and somebody can write it. And uh, hopefully make some money on that, because I'd like to enrich myself a little bit to help my daughter, but I think I would take a substantial portion of it and plug it back into to my mission. Cause, yeah. All right, so let's let's dive into that. So you you have these kind of two big things that happen, and then you have uh, you have Katrina that happens, and then you you're doing nothing, and then docu series comes along, and now you're right back. You're running a nonprofit. You're <laughs> like, like t- tell me through this upswing again where you're at now, how people can help, what's the best way, and, and I'm I'm probably more honest than I should be. Okay, because, you know, this, this idea of this guy never gives up or, or he never quits. Okay. <laughs> and, and I, but, but by the way, I'm not quitting, but uh, I am pulling back. Okay. But I, I after this, still, when we did the docuseries, I, I didn't plan on getting back into advocacy. <laughs> I just planned on telling the story. Yeah. Okay. And all of a sudden after this, Crazy things happen again after, okay? People from all over the country start sending me letters and praise and accolades and, boy, we need somebody like you. And, boy, you know, you, you know, I guess they think I'm Superman because I'm watching the show, okay? And, boy, maybe you're the guy that can make a difference in this drug crisis, okay? And I guess, you know, and people want to take pictures with me. And I got a little almost notoriety or fame, whatever you want to call it, okay? It helps your ego out a little bit. Now, finally, <laughs> you know, I'm busting my ass for 20 years. Nobody even knows it. Nobody, no credit <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. All of a sudden, now I get all this stuff, you know. And uh, uh, so, so then I get a phone call one day shortly after two. And it's a, a, a secretary calls me. Okay, and I used to beat the bushes trying to reach politicians and must get to run around with the secretary and all this. This secretary calls says, Mr. Michael Bocicelli would like to speak to you. Thinking to myself, who the hell is Michael Bocicelli? Okay, sounds important, no. Okay, I said, okay. So a couple of minutes later, a guy comes on. Boy, he's all excited. Dan, I saw your show. It's fantastic. Da 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 da. You know, and he's rattling on and all this stuff. And I'm actually thinking it's crazy, but I'm thinking when it said Bocicelli, I thought that was like an opera singer. I think they got a guy with a name similar to that, I believe. Okay, and uh, and I and I asked him. I said, "Pardon me." I said, uh, "Who are you?" <laughs> well, maybe that ain't exactly how I did it. Okay, but he gets the grip that I'm not aware of who he is. He says, "Oh, I'm I was Obama's drug czar," and all of a sudden it hit me. Now I got a damn drug czar calling me, <laughs> and then the next crazy thing happened is I'm laying in bed. Okay. And it's 10 o'clock at night, and this is only a couple of weeks after the, maybe even a week after. And uh, my, uh, I, I get a phone call, and this lady's on the phone, and she's ran. She goes, Dan, Bobby, that docuseries is doing fantastic. My husband's in New York, and, and, and he's talking about it in New York, and I got friends in California that are calling me. Do you know this guy? And all this kind of stuff. And I'm not even sure who she is. And I basically let her know that, and she goes, this is your attorney. 
I had to hire a entertainment attorney to sign some of the contracts and all this kind of stuff. But I only really met her once or twice. Okay. <laughs> and I did tell her the whole story. Okay. And she had asked me to call her when, before it came out and I forgot to do that and whatnot. So she catches me off guard and she says, but I got something better than that. I said, what's that? She said, I just signed Miss America. I said, so? Well, she's a pharmacy student. You and her can work together. She's got the same platform as you. Now, how does that happen? She lives in Pennsylvania. She's got the same attorney. And she's a pharmacy student. And she's got the same platform that I have. Yeah. And so I start thinking, again, I hate to say it, I start thinking, God put me here. <laughs> okay? And and so so then really now for the past year, so I said, what can I do? I, I don't know if I want to run a recovery center. I, I, I don't want to just run a little small group. I said, you know, this is kind of a national thing. Maybe, maybe I could pull people together from all around the country and build something that can have the clout to make a difference. I start this theory that I'm going to build a big, big registry of people, a uh, membership. Okay. And, uh, and I'm trying to get people that are, not, are advocates to come together from different groups, not leave their groups, but be part of this thing so that maybe one day I can go to a politician and say, look, I got a membership of hundreds of thousands of people, a million people. Okay. And I can try to make my case for whatever it is, or if there's a law coming out or a policy change we want, I can make the case. And I had talked to politicians before, and most politicians, you know, they would go, yeah, 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 yeah. We, yeah. we, we try to do something about that, and then they never do. Okay. But if you tell them, well, I got a million people, then all of a sudden their head clicks. Maybe this guy could affect my election. So it's a good theory. <laughs> and I was so wrapped up in my own success, you might say, okay, that I thought I could pull it off. So I've been working for a year and have built in that list. Recently, though, and I've been traveling around the country and all that, <laughs> spreading the word, try, mainly trying to build the list. Now, I, I also do some prevention and education and awareness while I'm doing this, but, but, my main focus was building this registry, okay? But I've come to the conclusion, now I got it up to about 5,000 people, okay? Which is, geez, I mean, that's, that's a little pile of people, okay? Uh, but, you know, I found out two emails, okay? You know, you, you send out a comment to them, one-third of them open it, <laughs> yeah. okay? All right? I still think to myself, well, if I can get a million and a third open, that's 330,000. So maybe I can get 330,000 and do something, okay? But then when I start realizing I've been at this for a year and a half, I do hire two people part-time. Our main focus is building this list. We have to find, I said, I'll be 130 before this thing gets to be 100,000, okay? So, and I'm getting tired of the travel. At first, I enjoyed the travel. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have did yours, but you caught me when I was actually still, <laughs> yes. I mean, just, just about two months ago, I was still totally gung-ho. Anybody asked me to do anything, I'd do it. Now, all of a sudden, I'm saying, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give up on the list, but I'm, but I'm not gonna focus on that. I'm gonna just focus on awareness and whatnot, and then I might even take some time off and work on the book, and focus on other things. Okay, because I got myself involved where I was. I thought I'd be doing this part time. I was working fifty, sixty hours a week. I'm traveling here, and, 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 and at first it's exciting. I'm in an airport and in a plane, and you know, you know somebody puts me in first class, and you know. And then all of a sudden I said, this ain't me. I'm 71 years old. Uh, you know, so so uh, actually now I'm trying to figure out a way to back it down. Probably. Now I'm hoping I don't have to back it down to zero. I'm hoping I can back it down to a level that I can throttle it, so to speak. So when you're, when you're going around, are you just going around telling your story? Are you going around... Okay, and are you doing keynotes? Well, in Arkansas, I'm going to go talk about education and prevention at a big summit. 
Okay. okay. But I've keynoted in a lot of places, big places. I've keynoted where czars have spoken, drug czars. I've keynoted where presidents have spoken. Okay. Uh, I've, it was by Zoom because of COVID, but I, I, <laughs> I keynoted uh, Australian Pharmaceutical Society in Australia. <laughs> uh, I was offered to go to uh, 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 Ireland, the Philippines. Now, all those kind of fell apart because of COVID, okay? One of them, the Australia, did it by Zoom. The other one's just tabled it, okay? Yeah. And so, uh, 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 you know, but for a long time, I was doing those things and within mind, always selling, please sign up on my list, okay? And I probably will still tacitly say that, okay? I'm not going to totally just yeah. bury it. <laughs> all right, but where I do was, people go? Right now, where do people go I, to get I, on the list? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the organization name, I named my organization Tunnel of Hope Foundation. It's a nonprofit, okay? And what we do in there is, uh, one thing, the way I named it that, okay, and you can see this little trees there. Well, in my parish, believe it or not, okay, on my way to work, there's this little two-lane highway, both directions, with these big oak trees on it, and they form a canopy, and I used to ride to work, and when I was trying to solve my son's murder, and then later when I was trying to put the doctor out of business, I was trying to save these kids, I would pray in that tunnel. And I would pray for God to help me to be able to make a difference, to, 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 to succeed at what I was doing, okay? It became kind of a thing to me. So when I actually decided to try to develop some type of organization and, and a nonprofit, I titled it Tunnel of Hope. And my website is tunnelofhope.org. But it's kind of crazy, too, and a lot of people have said this is the wrong way of doing it because when you go to tunnelvote.org, I'm really getting you to join the Pharmacist People's Association. At one time, I was calling it the lobby. But then I got some negative vibes about lobbies. Okay? <laughs> now, it was a people's lobby, the Pharmacist People's Lobby. Yeah, okay? but people don't know that up front. But, but they, now yeah. it's the Pharmacist People Association. And now, it, when I changed it, I thought it would be another boost and this thing would take off. Okay, <laughs> well, it, it residual yeah. effect. So, uh, uh, so I am sort of doing that, but I'm focused now, just like when I'm a child of four that I just spoke to this morning. What can I do to get the message out to save some kids? Okay. So, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this. Um, I've, I've lived a sheltered life being homeschooled and then I became obsessed with business and then I've, I've never dabbled in anything. Um, I've never swallowed a pill before ever an Advil, anything. Okay. Um, and, uh, I need to have like my, my wisdom teeth removed and they're like, okay, we can do this light therapy or you, you know, you can take this. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to own the pain. Right. Oh, wow. Um, and so hats off. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not that I'm tough. I just never swallowed a pill. I got a little funny story now. to tell you about that. Um, so what is, you know, again, my obsession was business and, and things, you know, maybe I have, I like nice things, whatever the case is. I always wanted a family wife and I just had our first kid, you know, I've, I've just always had goals and I've worked towards them. Um, and many, many successful people I've been around have done, uh, drugs of some sort. Um, there's this idea that like, I used to think that like, look, there's, Successful people that don't do drugs, and then there's unsuccessful people, and they do drugs. But the truth is, is there's people that manage their drugs well, and there's people that don't manage their drugs well. But right. a lot of people do drugs, just period. Right. Um, but there seems to be some type of um, obsession with people changing their life uh, by taking something other than doing something, uh, and people avoiding pain, as in like pain's bad. Um, 
So there's this thing of that's like, uh, if my head hurts, I just go lay down. Right. Uh, or I just work through it. It is what it is. Correct. Where I know some people that they're, if their head hurts, their life is now, how do I fix my head hurting? <laughs> um, so I don't have, you know, all this is just crazy to me because it's like I don't, you know, this is not the world I live in, right? And this is me being very sheltered, and I understand that and whatever the case is. But uh, it, one, is it starting with like, you know, the everybody's been like you're out of touch if you think it starts with marijuana and ends up here. Um, but I've also watched like, um, when you look at people that end up like porn addicts, they start with like, like seeing porn once and then watching it nine hours a day. Like, so it, there tends to be that people just become addicts about anything. I'm an addict about business. Like I'm somebody who can work for 18 hours straight. Right. If it's anything to do with business or what I'm trying to accomplish in business. That is an addiction. Yeah, or uh, when I was really into golf, exact same thing. I mean, like, I, I'm the exact same. When I'm focused on it, this has just never been my my priority. Um, like, I know I could take down that doctor because I'm like, oh, I could relentlessly <laughs> pursue this person, right? Um, so all that being said, I don't quite know the question I want to ask, but, like, what what is this? this it draws me. Why do people, not, not you, why do people in general want pills? Well, my aunt's name to my book, supposedly, Driven. <laughs> I just got just there came in and she said driven. I actually like that. Yeah, it's a good name. Okay. Um, but what drives people to even want to take something for their problem? It's kind of like what we're talking about, driven. <laughs> okay. I again it, it, it's it's a unique set of circumstances that I found myself in, you know, a, a really almost innocent kid. So many things that should have stopped that from happening. It didn't. Then being totally mistreated by the system and realizing how badly people that use drugs are abused, okay? And, my, you know, and I was one of those guys in the past, too. Like, that guy's a junkie, and, you know, that kind of looked particularly down at him. And, I mean, you know, uh, uh, there was a little guilt there that, that I felt that way, you know. And it happened to my own son, okay, in a sense. And uh, so... Yeah, uh, and remember, commitment to God had something to do with this, okay? I, it, it just seemed like there were some magical things that happened along the way that led me in this direction. Uh, of course, you know, God don't make it easy. Okay, I found <laughs> that out. He, 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 he's kind of almost always helped me succeed when I work hard enough, long enough, okay? But there's a difference now. I'm 71. I do have grandbabies. My, my daughter separated from a... a or husband, I'm divorced, okay? So I'm sort of the stepdaddy to these grandbabies now. And I've been busting it now for the past year and a half <laughs> since this docuseries broke, thinking thinking that I could make a big dent in the problem, okay? I was this guy that that uh, was, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the most famous pharmacist in the world right now. <laughs> okay, you know, I don't even know if I wanted to be a pharmacist. Okay, and I'm now I represent pharmacy. God now. is good. You know, so yeah. so I also felt like an obligation almost. Okay, and, and and but there was so much that I did want to do that maybe now I really have the clout to be heard and make a difference. Okay. I realize now, and I probably should have realized a long time, if you ever watch a movie called Traffic. And uh, it was, uh, who's the author? Michael Douglas plays it. And you go back and watch that movie. This guy is, is, is going to be appointed to drugs all. 
and he's wanted us all his life. He thinks it gets to be the drug czar of the nation. He can make a difference, okay? Meanwhile, his daughter is a heroin addict. He doesn't know it, okay? And comes home, and she's disappeared. And he's, he's waiting to be approved to be the drug czar, okay? He's, so he doesn't want anybody to know his daughter's missing. So he goes out looking for her, and he goes into dirty places, filthy places, just like what I was doing, okay? And he even goes into one, he catches her in bed with a, with, with screwing somebody for drugs, okay? And he goes to take her out, and one of the drug lords come up to him like that, and you know, with a gun or something, ready to blow his head off, and, and almost gets killed, okay? But... The guy sees the determination in him, I guess, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe the guy thought, well, maybe they had sympathy or maybe said, if I kill this guy, you know, he's somebody, then maybe it'll hurt my business, okay? So he lets him have his daughter, okay? And so the, the, just to make a story real quick, okay, he goes to the podium to accept the job. He doesn't take it. He also had looked at the amount of money that the, the, the drug lords had to spend on marketing this thing and whatnot, okay? And the budget that he had as a drug czar, and it was like pennies compared to what they had. And I guess he really felt like, I got to worry about my family, okay? So he didn't take the job. So for a little while, I thought that I could do this full-time, even at 70 years of age, and I was highly motivated, okay? (laughs) All right? And I still want to play a part, but I do have a book and a movie, okay? Okay. And so I do want to figure out a way to throttle back because I'm starting to think a little bit more about my family. And I guess part of it is I'm not quite having the success that I thought I would, and the drug problem's been getting worse. So what are the solutions to the drug problem? Because I I struggle with with this idea of we should legalize everything. I know. That's one, one possibility. And uh, – I, I don't agree with that, but uh, I, I've always thought it was an option. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I mean, now, there's I'll just tell this... you what we're working on. Okay. What I am and what are... most of the people I'm affiliated with, we do believe we got to start treating it as a health issue and that we got to decriminalize it. And we talk about basically decriminalizing all drugs. Okay. Now, that is different from legalization still. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't solve all the problems that legalization, but it also doesn't totally open the door for anybody to try it. Because this is this is where I'm at. If we spend fifty billion a year on stopping drugs, right? And instead, we put ten billion to make sure drugs never enter the border again. Yeah. And then we spend the other forty billion. And we put up clinics funded by the government, which means they'll be inefficient and suck, but I don't know of a better way. Um, so we put clinics everywhere. We decriminalize it. And essentially, you have an option when you're, when you're arrested. Everybody needs to be arrested. Arrested right. does not mean going to jail. Most people are idiots. They don't know this. That's right. So you're caught doing drugs. You get arrested. From there, you're given an option. You can go to jail for 10 years. You can go to rehab pretty much where we're at okay we're not even sure they should be threatened with jail for 10 years but somewhere in there we definitely want we call it the usa flip a company called portugal okay decriminalized drugs 20 years ago right around the time my son died 1999 at that time they had 400 overdose deaths heroin was a big problem in that country little country okay and they only had 10 million people about the same size as michigan 10 million people they had, so they decriminalized drugs, and they created, of course, they had a socialized medicine system. They really created an open door 
where these people were to some extent, either penalized or coerced to some extent. There was a little bit of voluntarism, but they, they, they treated it. They, it helped remove the stigma. A lot of these people did realize they had problems and they went in, in, in recovery, whatnot. And within three years, the overdose deaths decreased by 90%. They went from 400 to 90. Okay. And now, no, 400 to 50, I believe it was. Okay. It remains that way today, okay? Michigan, by the way, had about 1,000 overdose deaths in 1999. It's now over 3,000, a 300% increase. So, so, so we, we think decriminalizing is the way, uh, but that, that is a total legalization. Now, what you can do if you decriminalize most of that $50 billion you're talking about, okay, a good portion of that is in the jails yeah, and, and, in, <laughs> and in judges, in the court system. If we can reduce that dramatically, like we, we were spending 10 or 20% of our money on education and prevention, let's say, okay, and 80% of it on, on criminalization, you might say, <laughs> okay, we need to flip that. We got to spend 80% on clinics and recovery and in ways to, to, to help save people, treat it as a, uh, a disease, okay? And then the other 20%, we try to stop it at the border. And, 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 and for real drug dealers, we maybe put drug dealers in jail if they're not just a petty person selling a couple of pills or something like that. So that is the way we're going. There's only one problem with that. And I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. I'm actually in the midst. That's another thing. I want to devote some of my time to studying issues. When I was actually out there working so much, <laughs> I, I wasn't able to read some of the books I wanted to read. I got so caught up. There's a lot of more education I want to do. This fentanyl thing is different. I'm not sure we, we can decriminalize fentanyl. Okay. It, 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 I'm a pharmacist, and there's something called a therapeutic index. And the therapeutic index is, is when a drug has an effect, the amount of drug that it takes to have an effect, and the amount of drug it takes to kill you. In most drugs cases, it's pretty big. Even in heroin, it's pretty big. You can overdose on heroin and kill yourself, but but you gotta like maybe take two or three times what you were supposed to take before it'll kill you. It's this big with fentanyl. And what's happening is a lot of people, in a sense, are, are accidentally overdosing, but it don't take much. And then these these Mexican cartels and the people that's trying to, they're making fake pills and they're trying to put a certain amount of, of fentanyl in a pill, and they really don't want to kill people. They don't want to kill everybody, okay? But they don't mix it right. They don't. It's not mixed properly. And and and, and young Where does fentanyl are, come from? It started in China, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no surprise. <laughs> Started in China, and uh, and China's still, we think, involved, okay? But what they did do oh, is— Oh, China do something wrong? <laughs> China got it all started and started creating addicts here in our country. They shipped it over and through the ports and through the mail and whatnot, okay? And then we kind of got on their case a Chinese bit. government or— Well, at first, the Chinese government was okay, yeah. Okay. And then finally, supposedly, we talked to the Chinese government and told them about well, the Well, they've problem. never lied to us, so I'm sure. <laughs> well, they may be lying anyway, but I'll tell you what they did. And we don't know for sure. They, they claim they're not even doing this, but we don't believe it exactly. Okay, They actually did stop the companies from shipping the drug over directly from China. Okay, Instead, they sent, all the pre, they sent the teams down to Mexico. 
They taught the Mexicans how to make this stuff. <laughs> and they sent them the raw materials to make the stuff. Okay? And so... I mean, what is in it? I mean, like, for me, my mind has such a hard time wrapping my head around. It's a synthetic. It's not a natural drug, okay? Heroin's a natural drug. They got to grow a plant. They got to process it and whatnot. This can be chemically made, which means it used to be if you had a bad crop that you couldn't get enough opium, okay, to to make some of the stuff, okay? And prices vary depending upon supply. Now they can make it in the lab. Now they got factories producing this stuff. It's run amok, okay? And so even though I believe in decriminalization, people are dying regularly. I mean, you know, the percentages are much different. Like people died with just regular natural heroin, okay? And you might even say the guy that showed them the heroin uh, died, had some factor in that. But, you know, 90% of the time or 99% of the time, the guy didn't die when when he sold heroin. Now, like 50% of the time, somebody sells fentanyl, somebody dies, or at least, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the exact numbers, but it's, it's dramatically yeah. more than heroin, okay? And so we're calling this now, we don't call it overdose, we call it poisoning. I mean, it's almost like he, they, they, it, it's strychnine or, or something, okay? And, and we, we're trying to make the world know this, okay? I say me and a lot of advocates <laughs> that I work with and whatnot, a lot of people that's active in this. And although we kind of want decriminalization, right now I'm starting to look at can we put this drug in a category? Can we decriminalize but put this drug in a different category? Now, I would still be okay with users, that got caught with fentanyl, okay? But with other drugs, we not only wanted to use this, we wanted to use this, and you might say the petty salesman that's an addict himself and he's supporting his habit. Maybe we'd send him to drug court or something, but he might have a little bit rougher time, but we're still going to even be a little bit easy on the small-time guys, okay? With fentanyl, a lot of people sell fentanyl to their friend, and they die, Okay? And, and but maybe they didn't even know there was fentanyl in it. Okay, yeah, I mean so, like, so how do you blame him now? So, but I will tell you this: there's a guy out in California. He's got something called an admonishment clause. He's trying to get this throughout a lot of the states. Now, a lot of the states now are getting so fed up with fentanyl now that they there've been a little bit of decriminalization been going on. Uh, pl- yeah, with mushrooms and stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, but but <laughs> but, but even with regular drugs that are illegal. Some of the cops now and some of the courts now, they divert people, okay? Now, it's not consistent. We would like it to be consistent. You got, <laughs> yeah. some, t- you got some guy goes to jail for five years, but somebody else goes to drug court or somebody else gets probation, okay? So we would like better laws to make it equal for everybody, okay? And uh, minorities usually pay a higher price uh, than, than white people that have a lot of money, okay? Well, uh, and, for... All crimes for, for everything. For everything. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's not, this is my... We want to equalize that as much as we can, but we want to decriminalize, too, because they have suffered a lot. We, You know, they say the black families are torn apart, but a lot of them are torn apart because they're in jail. Now, granted, they wasn't no angels, okay, but they got... Yeah, they got ten, 20 years for weed. I mean, you know, yeah, they, stupid they, shit. they got 10 and 20 years <laughs> yeah. when, when his white counterpart got probation or something, okay, yeah. or, or nothing, you know, and so... You took the parents away from them. Uh, you, you you help destroy the families with criminalization, the, yeah, war, I mean, the war on drugs. Okay, 